Welcome back to the BMX in Our Blood. What a difference a week makes. Hopefully you enjoyed last week's interview with Mike Savage and all of his exploits around the world, chasing the dream that most of us wouldn't even think of. This week's is the story of Pauly Pirate and his excursions around the U.S. that brought him to want to travel abroad to Kenya for a completely different reason, to completely give of himself to that community and the kids in that community. So first couple hours of the interview, you'll hear a lot of Paulie's story about how he got to the point that he's at right now. And the last hour is completely about his plan and his motivations and giving back to others in any possible way you can. So follow Polly on Instagram at Polly P-A-U-L-Y underscore pirate. Just keep an eye out for anything he has going on once he's got his plan solid. I know he's going to be working with Garrett Burns on this and it's it's going to be amazing. Pretty excited about that. So also want to keep it on your radar. The July 29th Find Your Fight Jam. It's shaping up to be amazing. I'm so excited for it. We're going to do so well for the family of Kevin Robinson. The day is just going to be it's going to be the it's going to be the craziest one yet that's for sure everything from scotty kramer's events to jump lines to skills park mountain bike downhill courses synthetic snow tubing lake jumping zip lines disc golf i'm gonna forget so many things there's just so much to do keep it on the calendar july 29th all day it's a sunday in Connecticut at Powder Ridge in Middlefield. If you want to see a flyer for it, go to thebmxinourblood.com. It's right there, front and center. Any questions on it, you can direct message me at gromdad2000 on Instagram or email at jpdoherty70 at gmail.com. So, surprise guest next week, mostly because it's going to be a surprise to me too. I don't know who yet. I'm working it out. My uh, stack of interviews has run out, so it's kind of fun. It puts me in a position where I've got to um, get to do some thinking, put something together, and do some traveling. So anyway, have a fantastic week. We'll talk to you soon. We can just hit it. Yeah. So uh, I think... It's a long it's, story, man. Oh, no, no, that's right. So it's, <laughs> so it's Polly. His name is Savikovich. But at an early age, it was just Polly Pirate. Actually, it was little Polly for up until I was like 16. and then Because no one wanted to dare pronounce the name? I, I, that, like, I mean, I don't know. Or is this just trail nickname Tra- stuff? Trail nickname stuff. Oh, okay. But then as soon as Grady Corbett moved here yeah. and he saw, like, how I was living, then it was like this kid. I, I think I he just saw the way I was living and like how I was raised and he was like, this kid's a fucking pirate. Like he just like, and he had this whole like, he had this, we're already going on a tangent, but he had this whole like short movie played out in his head with like all these characters. And I was all, really? Yeah, it was really funny. I still, we should still make that happen. Grady's awesome. Um, 
right, so I don't so, know, wherever you want to start. Sivkovich. Sivkovich. It's not easy. So just Polly. Which isn't, you know, Paul. No, that's, Paul, that's fine. Paul, I just want people to know your real yeah. last name. Is. It's fucking long. Yeah. yeah first, huh? Mom's <laughs> last name is Garcia. My dad's Sivikovich, so. Oh, I got you. Somehow, I took the Russian last name and not the Puerto Rican <laughs> last name. <laughs> so that's how Pirate came in? Paul Brady. But I was, like, living, like, it was a crazy lifestyle at a young age. Well, now. So we should chat about. Yeah, let, let's Pirate. start with that, because you okay. grew up. Oddly enough, like crazy coincidence, within probably a mile of Danny Billy, Soups, yep. Morale, Robbie Morales, and you all in totally Cliff, actually probably a mile radius. The whole town's a mile, square mile. Yeah, we grew up in. Mm-hmm. So I lived like four blocks from DB, and Soups maybe ten. And what got me into riding? I don't even think it, I. I don't remember if it was Soups or Dan, but they were always, once I was old enough to go up to the school that was like a half mile away, Right. they were always riding bikes. But I grew up with this kid that was always rollerblading, skateboarding, like doing everything, like this little punk kid that was doing everything, riding bikes, and like he had everything, you know, so we would just use whatever he had and just like launch off a kicker ramp and that was it. So like I didn't have a lot of outside influence that got me into it at first because it was like a total ignorant, like, stumble upon that like you know being involved in bikes and skateboards and everything you know right then when I met those dudes I was infatuated with it but I never fully met them because I didn't have the balls to go up and say anything because I was like probably eight or nine when I first Whoa. saw them all right yes yeah. so, I mean you're almost a generation behind totally but I was also on the cusp of like I was, I'm on like a weird breaking point where it was like you could either go back like to the newer side of things or go right. with the older dudes and I think I first met John like officially like started like riding with those dudes when I was like I don't know maybe 12 or 13. Oh okay. And we had like a whole crew of dudes that would ride but we were the younger kids. At Kiko? No like just around. Oh so you're just so talking time, around, like, just around town. Seven, uh, uh, so um sorry uh port trails was like around then yep. and i remember that there was this kid um mark amarati who was a little older than me uh-huh. and his nickname was little bitch where i think like that's where the little things came from so but he yeah. fell off the whole scene but he was a big part of me meeting john because he was old enough to get to to port washington trails we would ride our bikes there which was like far, far. like 10 or 15 miles that's other side that. of the water if you're in Seacliff so like you can mm-hmm. look at Port Washington but you have to loop all the way around it's on the, it's on the island the sound side. but there's the sound um, across from the sound is like another bit of land right which right. is like a little cove so I got like, you I, was, I remember riding down a 16 inch fucking Schwinn like that yeah. just like out of I don't even know how I got it like I didn't right. I didn't get a, even a bike then yet yeah and I remember uh I remember taking that pedal. I remember getting dropped off somehow. Like, I was always able to convince my mom yeah. that what I was doing was safe. Yeah. Which is, like, will lead into, like, the rest of my life somehow. <laughs> Bless her. She's the best woman. Um, but I remember, like, that's when I first started meeting those guys mm-hmm. because I was going there and then... But I was still under the radar. Like, no, yeah. no, or poor Washington. I don't think anyone paid attention yet because mm-hmm. we were so young. We were just, like, hiding, riding this little... Like line, I forget the name of the line. It was shit rhythm. Yeah. And uh, I think I might have met Nina at that time there, mm-hmm. maybe. But I, maybe she might have been like already in Ohio too. So there was all these people Could around. Be. There yeah. were all these people around, 
that are so inspirational now to the day, and I have these friendships with them. I guess we're transitioning into like me meeting Soups. I think like he just saw something. Like I stuck around and I kept riding, and he would like invite me. He would like start inviting me to hang out with him and ride. When you were a teen, when I was you like were... fourteen. Yeah, so you're and young. He was, like, and the first time I remember anything is he's like, "We're gonna go to Posh," because we were at the time riding. How'd you convince your mom of that one? But that's that's like the easiest one because it's yeah. crazier than that. Like it got crazier. Like Posh was fine. Right, we'll There's Austin trips. There's <laughs> trips where I was 15 in Austin with dudes like like fake ID on Sixth Street. Like right. somehow just blending in. So Port turned into Port soups turned inviting in. you to hang with them. I think so, and he could check me on this if I'm wrong, but because it's been it, it has been over 15, almost 15 more than 15 years. Sure. Which yeah. is absolutely absurd right. crazy to me to think even like that. Yeah. Um, there was just something that, like, we were. We also had this community center that had all these ramps they would let us have. And there was, like, these, oh. there was, like, this, these meet-up, these pinnacle meet-up spots where, like, things yeah. were going on. Like, there was this one instance where at this meet-up, like, these ramps, this community center, mm-hmm. they dropped all the baseball dirt. And Soups and them were building at the time South Street Seaport, King of Dirt Jumps. They had, we had, like a set of trails in this parking lot like but like two sets of jump like jumps like big right, jumps right and like you know like 15 20 foot sets and like and there was all these crazy configurations and stuff and i think just like we were involved with each other at that point but like it just somehow i infiltrated him and then that led me to my first posh trip which led me to meeting everyone from everyone dude. but my oh. first posh trip yeah. i remember i was 15 Right. Soups was like, you can come with me, yeah. but like you have to get me breakfast. So I bought him breakfast. Well, I don't even know how I had money for this, for the record. Like I probably scabbed some money off my mom, like three dollars for egg sandwich, right? Right. I roll up to his house. We go up to Posh the whole way up. He's just like, listen, like it's it's different. Uh, the guys are older. They might not be into you. You're like a new dude. Like you're young. Yeah. And I was shook. Like I was really nervous. Yeah. And I remember rolling up to Posh, and I know. Drew was there, and I know Jay was there, and I and I know Soups was there, and there was a couple other people I forgot who was there at the time. I'm sure Sal was there, and like pretty much all of the old school posh dudes, like the staples. And we started kind of riding, and I was sweating, palms sweating, so nervous, and we were riding long runs because that was like the only line I could really fathom to ride. Right. This is coming. If you go back a little bit, like at that point, I was riding some other trail spots that were popping up around Long Island, right. where there were a bunch of other guys. So I had like built a skill set where it was like, so I guess I'm kind of skipping for it, but I did build a skill set enough to be comfortable at least getting in that car and going. Right. And I wasn't gonna not ride something. Right. I remember like bailing over the set, which is like the third set in the line. It goes over the double berms in quality. And I was shook, because my bike blew up a landing apart. And we came from riding, so you know, I'm already like forgetting things, but like for Posh, like what got me to Posh was riding was riding uh, hooligan trails right that was even before that like i was so young i was 15 maybe then so i was riding jumps where i would get shut down if i skidded right right, there would be and k will listen this like k was like that like if you oh brian yeah Yeah. like kaminsky would be like yeah boom you're done you skidded take a break for the day (laughs) so i come from a generation of uh, being the youngest not the youngest but a really young kid Mm -hmm. around a bunch of older dudes that didn't care for the young kid. There was no like, we're gonna bring this kid up. It's just like, I had to earn that. 
so hard. That's a lot of pressure. Like, almost in tears at times. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing wrong? Like, I'm out here, I'm digging, like, I'm doing whatever I needed to do. And at that time, there was, like, no real skate parks. It was just the trails were there. Like, I didn't touch any skate parks until later in life. Right. But, um, so, like, between riding Hooligan, which that's a whole other story in itself, too, with all those dudes, because they became family. But, like, in this weird time frame, I started learning how to really ride a bike, and it was from hooligan it was from getting taken to the racetrack which i never raced yeah. but going to a racetrack sure. after learning how to ride a little bit and right. understanding how to like ride a rollers and get speed and jump like a right. big jump and pedal that stuff it just transpired into this like comfort with dirt so there was a posh trip and yeah. we're gonna go back now where i no, bailed no, i bailed on the one of the jumps that goes over uh the double berms in quality mm-hmm. and i remember i was so shook and i was like I ran up to Drew and I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm like Drew and Jay, I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, give me a shell, I'll fix it. And they like got mad at me for saying sorry. They were like, dude, don't fucking say sorry. They're like, if you don't get through the line today, then you can then apologize. But like, nothing, you're good. And after that, I was like, oh, these guys are the shit. At least you got some some rope. I made it in because I thought soups really scared the shit out of me. Right. I'm a young kid. Like, these which people which are, may have been the best thing to do, as hard as it was. I totally agree. I mean, I never... I think it's what shaped my respect level for people that are older than me. It's what, mm-hmm. in turn, is why I was around, always surrounded by older people. Right. I totally ditched my crew of younger kids, mm-hmm. and I was under their wing. Right. So, there was, there was then that point where right. the dudes at Hooligan were like, who is this kid? And I right. was riding more. I was like, Soup's counterpart. Like, I was his little sidekick, and I would go where he went, and he had, he was friends with them, I was friends with them, and I also come from a background where I had no rules, like, there was drinking and partying, and I would just, like, slide in with those dudes, and they and they no fucking clue how old I was, they was like, oh, it's little Polly. People would find out how old I was, and they're like, what the fuck is going on? You're only 15. Like, and how are you getting away with this shit? Right, right. Like, my parents just, like, they cared, but I somehow had no rules and they trusted me and I think it's because I had people like John right and the people I'm hanging out with who John was the good one I hung out around a lot of not good people who's John again Superfly sorry oh, oh, oh sorry. just Superfly so, oh Soup's okay John's Kavarla I'm gonna go right, between Soup's Superfly John all the same they're person. all gonna be the same person all right, until we ask. but um, my start in BMX was like very centered around just being able to keep up I was like mm-hmm. my goal was so simple. I was like, I want to go to anywhere and be able to ride with these people. And that was it. I That's didn't want to like at fifteen because trail the trails were crazy. Totally. And somehow it worked. Mm-hmm. And I would get through stuff and 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 I would like got away with with without like really like anything to set me back well, injury wise, mentally, like it was just like no fear. Uh, but also the bar of riding was totally different then where like to just like it was just about getting through the jumps and like riding and looking good it wasn't about like what you were doing it was just do how you did it so it was that like peak of like tricks over style where it was always someone always rather watch chase get through a line than a dude doing the double backflip at the time I think don't think there's anyone doing double backflips but that X Games contest rider was not the Long Island Trail scene no. so it was awesome because I was like I just want to ride like all these guys right. I don't want to learn the backflip you right. know I don't want to learn 
anything. I just want to get through. Right. Obviously, it, it transpired into more than just that, but so I'm still this. What we've just talked about. I'm still between 13 and 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, I'm in high school. Where we have a cool crew of kids ride bikes, but I'm always peaking with the older dudes. You know, I'm always yeah, like yeah, getting yeah. infiltrating that scene, and they are respecting me and bringing me on wherever on trips. Like I remember I'd ask to go on a trip. And I would call my dad and say, hey, I go on this trip. We're going to, like, somewhere upstate. Like, uh, I forgot where we're going. Upstate New York? Yeah, I forgot what we were doing. I was going with this dude, Joe Shitpants, and my buddy, Paul Eibler. Okay. And Paul Eibler is also an intricate part of the Long Island Trail scene. He's a major part of the Austin Trail scene. Oh, He's okay. like, the, the dude that went, like, anyone that will, most people that will listen to this, yeah. that are a part of Long Island know who he is. Yeah. A lot of people might not, but, like, he always was, like, kind of, like, a step ahead of the yeah, everyone yeah. else. Like, he was from Long Island, but he was going to school in, uh, in PA. Where was he going? In Scranton. Oh, so okay. he had a set of trails in Scranton by himself. He just oh, loved digging. So, like, wow. we were, there was one time where I, like, and this is basically a story the whole my whole life, but I'd be like, hey, I want to go on a trip, and I'm 16. I don't have a job. You know, I'm going to school. I have no money. Right. My parents aren't giving me money right. at that time. Like, they helped me get my first bike. Sure. And they were, I don't know if they were fully supportive of what I was doing, but they, they dealt with it and they gave me a ton of room. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, Dad, I want to go on this trip. He'd be like, no. And I'm like, what do you mean, no? So I'm going to go on this trip and I'm not asking for you anything from you. I'm just saying, can I go? And he says, well, no. And you don't have any money, so how are you going to go? I have Paul saying next to me, I have a bag of quarters that I saved. Oh. And he's like, oh, you don't need money, dude. You're good. I said, Dad, I don't have any money, I don't need money, I'm good, I'm going. And that was just like, it, go on a trip. I was kind of just letting you know, I wasn't really asking. That was like kind of everything. Like, yeah, right, right. My parents were my friends, right. and I think after those first trips, yeah. they were like, okay. Like, in their brain, they were always like, John's Superfly's a great dude, we trust him. Right. But there was a ton of times where it was, I was, it was out of his control, like, I didn't, you know, I wasn't with him. No. But they just from him that was kind of like they just assumed whether it was blindly assumed or just like heartfelt assumed that that's how everyone was. You can also, if you want to, direct because this is only two years. This is fine. This is, uh, I'm not. I'm trying to even think about it, how agenda. it led up to it too because. So basically, the the to, 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 a long story short is, I somehow was able to convince my parents that the people that were much older than me. Right. Soups was 25 at the time. I right. was 15. Right. And a lot of my friends that were in that bracket were between 20 and late 20s. Right. I was somehow able to convince them that these people were great role models. Yeah. And I know the people listening to this are going to laugh and, and thinking about other people thinking of them as great role models. I love them all, but they were amazing. They were far from great role models. Right. But the way that I was raised because of them is was like so so amazing and I, I'm so lucky because it was like a pure joyful energy I mean but there was partying and there was drinking and there was poor decision making right poor poor decision making right. but you found your own way I just like that. I just made I survived somehow you know I think there wasn't like a nobody was like really like over partying and doing anything because BMX was still so strong in everyone's blood not to pun on on everything, but it was it's what it's all about. You know, like there was still like the reason you went to Austin every winter mm-hmm. was to go ride. Yeah, you partied, but 
but it was to ride. Right. Where, you know, as people get older, it might be to party and not ride so much, yeah, but it was 100% BMX and then 100% enjoying herself too. Right. So I started linking with Soups and, you know, introduced me to the dudes at Hooligan mm-hmm. and those guys, and they would have these crazy parties and jams for yeah. whatever reasons, like anything that came up from Halloween to a birthday, uh, you right, know. Right. And they were honestly, in my opinion, some of the first dudes that were like, kegs of the trails, party. Right. The locals had their own tent with a keg in it. Mm-hmm. Anyone is welcome. No rules. Blow the trails out. This is the one time of year you can do this. Because the other, at you know, Hooligan. 364 days yeah. out of the year, yeah, who again? Yeah. Off limits. Like, if you skid, cut off. Like, done. But there was that one day, those yeah. two days, right. where, like, it was just a free-for-all, and they embraced it and just let everyone in. Hooligan was around, like, at the same time that even Sevs was around. But it was, like, there, that part of this... Uh, Long Island's like little scene and it was there forever you know and it was just like at one point like one jump and just like old school you know like pedal 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 and that yeah, was yeah. like you know a lot of dudes at the time I was coming up were out like Hollywood and all these other guys were already in Ohio they were already upstate New York there were some people scattered around right. but it kind of evolved with like uh, Wild Matt Kaminsky Rob Lukarski, uh Nuno yeah. I mean, Nuno was involved for a long time before he left for California. I mean, there was a whole scene. Cantwell, there's this... I mean, there. if I forget anyone that's listening, you know, I apologize in advance. Um, Nerdman, like, there was just this core group of dudes, and they just mm-hmm. built this... They were ahead of the curve as far as trail maintenance, and in my opinion, ahead of the curve in how everything looks. Right. And they built some cool jumps, but they were fucking hard. Oh, I'm hard. sorry. Hogan's. No, it's fine. Did Hogan's have the long sets... Hooligans had many different sets. Hooligan was like, you came in on a roll-in, you mm-hmm. hit a jump, it was a berm, mm-hmm. then double rollers, and then a straight set. It was The straight rhythm. set, though, did you, did you have to pedal at it? it? It was not... There was a point where you did, but then I think they made it, they turned it into rolling. It was by far one of the hardest places I've ever ridden in my life. Really? By far. Okay. And it was just like, once you could ride there, you uh-huh. could ride literally anywhere so that was like Hooligan first then Posh for me and then that's saying something well yeah because it was Hooligan was closer and I could get there and then you know but I was his first difficulty though oh it's insane. I went something. to Posh and I was you know fucking all over the place I was like and flying okay. past landings you know and I was used to pumping and and you were like 15 and I was 15 that's, maybe 15 or 16 crazy. on the cusp everything happened very fast when I was like 15 to 17 was like boom where there was yeah. like an insane level of like confidence progression as right. a rider but also just like a, as a human just like right. so I think like I would link with the hooligan guys and there was one time it was February and I had off from school at high school uh-huh. and everybody this is where Paul Ibler comes back into place so Paul Ibler moves to Austin Texas to go to school he is probably already been in school for four years at this point between Scranton and uh, University of I think he was at uh, University of San Marcos or UT Austin he was somewhere right. he was from a family where like if he was in school like he was like that's the was the focus and he loved to learn mm-hmm. and he literally dragged it on for like seven years really and he learned the dude is so wildly intelligent and he is so wildly giving um, so all the Long Island dudes every winter would go yeah. to Austin and they would all stay at Paul's house Paul they, had open doors DePaul still lives in Austin. Lives in Austin. So when Soup went there recently, which when you were away, he He was with with Paul. Paul. Yeah. Okay. All right. When they had the whole crew. Yeah. When everyone went down. So there was times where Paul 
And at this point, live with Jason Sunday, which were the trails we were just riding, watching. Right. right. Um, Paul Buchanan ride, rest in peace. He was there, doors open. There, at any given time, there was 10, 12, 15 Long Island dudes planted on the floor. And that's like... Wow. And they were like on a rampage. And this were, was just his college apartment. This was his college apartment. <laughs> so, I mean, he was working, going to school full time, digging yeah. trails. Right. Entertaining 15 plus dudes that were on the most wild of vendors. Like, because everyone at that point is in their mid-20s. They're in Austin. It's very much so. Right. Like, the wild, wild west of Austin still, where just, like, there was, like, like no rules. Right. There's no rules. East right. side didn't exist. The right. only bars you really went to were on 6th Street. Yeah. And there was a BMX bar, the Ritz. Like, there was all these... Oh, all really? These, dude, there was all these people, and it was just a small, tiny community. Mm-hmm. And I'm some 15, 16-year-old kid yeah. that somehow has convinced my mom and dad but it was always my mom, so somehow I could pull the hard strings just a little harder to get me a fucking plane ticket to Austin. That's normal, by the way. To go to... That's no, <laughs> definitely, trust me. Definitely. I somehow convinced them to fund. I don't even remember if I had money, but like... And I definitely was working at that point a little bit at this deli. Yeah. But um, they got me a plane ticket. And I was there for like 12 days. And it was such a shit show. I rolled up. Everybody's sick. They're all sick because they've been drinking for fucking a month straight. Oh, no. But everybody, so everybody was like, didn't really want to ride. But like, we were- In Texas. Yeah. Well, like, got all the Long Island dudes, like, but everyone wanted to party still. So like, my first introduction was like, I roll into Paul's apartment, my first time flying alone. I don't even know how I got, I think Soup's made pick me up at the airport because that was like my like, he connected, he talked to my mom and was like, yeah, he'll be safe. Yeah. It's like 10 in the morning and everyone's like, hey, we're sick and there's a- handle of vodka and a bunch of orange juice and they're like well vodka kills germs and orange juice has vitamin c in it and justification number one i'm gonna be healthy if i do this and i just want to ride but i was also like trying to fit in with those guys so it was like and somehow i came up on a fake id that i bought in the city on st mark street and at at that time there was like all the tattoo parlors for like and fake ids Spots like one at one, and be like, yeah. just like go get your first tattoo right. at sixteen, and get your fake ID too for sixty bucks. Next so, door or same building? Usually next door, and I like they would they would fuck you too. Like I remember going to a spot, and they were like twenty bucks, and I'll tell you where the place is. Oh man! Pay one guy twenty bucks, pay another guy sixty, and get a fake ID. And I had a fake ass Pennsylvania ID. It was so fake. Oh, I could never survive. At this forever. point, I think I was sixteen. So I'm sixteen. Yeah. I got a fake ID. I'm in Austin. It's like February break from high school. I'm yeah. getting into every single fucking bar in Austin somehow. And right. I look 12. I had like ratty dreads. I was wearing clothes that were too tight. I had not a single like, speck of facial hair. <laughs> Nothing, right? So we wind up riding a bunch, right? But we're partying a bunch too. The shit like... I wish I was there for Soup's podcast because it would be funny to like just like bring this into light about like that whole like point of everyone's life. But I guess like there was a lot of crazy fucking partying and shit and it was all in good fun, but I was 15, 16. But, like, Soup, but Soup's was your guy. So he was my connect. Like he was my in. Like so my your family parents trusted him. Because I did the same thing with a kid, almost the same age difference. Only, we weren't partying. I mean, we were in Connecticut, but we brought this guy, we brought this kid everywhere. We brought him to Tennessee. It was all based on racing back then, because 80s and 90s was all racing. Racing, and then you'd hit trails too. But 
his mom just trusted me and the kid was only 14, 15 and he went all around the country with me. If the parent trusts the adult, then it's it's kind of set. No, it sounds yeah. like you must have had some kind of deal with school too. Like, like okay, you Dude. can go, but you got to graduate high school. I like so for me, high school was so easy because we found out the secret formula where we would just show up, mm-hmm. and teachers loved us because we showed up. Like we weren't the cool kids; we were the losers. They didn't want to they fail anymore. Didn't, yeah, so like we're like doing our thing but we're also showing up but so I mean, they're pushing you through yeah in turn we're still like we're smart like we're hustling the tests stealing tests <laughs> we stole state exams and 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 to be honest i learned a ton because i was doing the test and then handing the answers out and we weren't even on some entrepreneurial like hustle shit where you're like trying to make money off them right, right. we were just like where we stole the test and we'll do it and like let's take the answers and that was by bmx aside and then like all of a sudden we were cool because now we had you know i had stories from my travels already at such a young age and then these kids were kind of looking up to us so we like breached like the nerd and the jock nerdy punk like Mm -hmm. thing it was like phasing out you know it's just that part of life like and then again this is 2002 I was in high school to 2006 so I mean it's pretty it's not like the 90s you know it was very much so like it was starting to phase out where there was like a strict like hate for there was like the punkers and like yeah. the jocks and, like people just started to like kind of mold together yeah so well, but as a parent though it sounds like your parents were if, if I were the parent in that situation I'd say you know what you're gonna graduate you're 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 doing your work somehow they just and you're hooked it. up with soups and we trust the guy so but somehow they trusted man I do not they know just let you figure it out how in the fuck and moms are great about that because moms great. Moms Granted. are so good at saying, let them learn by their mistakes. Totally. Go. I think, too, like, there was definitely, my dad was always busy with work. My mom was, like, the sacrificial mother. And then she started hustling, too, going back to school full-time, getting mm-hmm. a master's degree to be able to teach. Wow. And doing all this when we were 12, you know, 10, 12, me and my sister is two years younger than me. So she started going back, doing all this later. So I think everyone was just busy in my family. And I just yeah. was able to kind of just, like, like they just sleep. wanted to know you were okay. Totally. And somehow I was okay. But this, I mean, I could, we could do a three-hour podcast about one story in Austin. But to make a long story short, <laughs> yeah. to make a very, very long story short, the Long Island BMX scene was at a different stage, right? Mm-hmm. There's a different set of guys, like, kind of running the trails. There was Hooligan. Right. Port Trails just got plowed. So Soups was working on other projects. Something in Oyster Bay. And that's kind of how Kiko came about. And then... Which but you were involved in. Right? I was very much involved in. And in it was Kiko. because Kiko started and then they bailed all winter to go to Austin. So we like kind of came up and found these jumps and we didn't change anything, but we started making new stuff. And then Soup's kind of dove off for a while and was doing like a lot of Austin and a lot of California bailing the whole winter. So then we'd come back and he wasn't like doing his own thing. Like he was like working on some other stuff. And, so um, you were kind of keeping it going. Well, we had a crew of like 10 kids. Like all the jumps that are there now, like I have pictures of the jumps there. The, all the lines were there. I mean, Soup's built one line right. that was like, you know, creature, like the main line that's there now. But mm-hmm. like Whammo, we started the top of. Uh, Witch Doctor, we started the top of. Like I there was renditions and stuff. And it wasn't just us. There was other people involved. But right. Yeah. So we like. So you must have loved it. It was great. That you were keeping it going because even if you had to change a couple things, you had it rough. You have it ru- you totally. had it roughed in. He trusted me to not fuck the place up. And I remember like there was times where it was like, you know, just like 
be smart about it, kind of. And I remember right. everyone was down, and he was like, well, if I'm not there, I can't do shit about it, and I can't, what can I do? And that was his choice. So. Totally, totally. And yeah. they were doing their own thing. He was like, he was in his mid-20s. They were, you know, actually at the time, yeah, he was mid-late 20s, uh-huh. riding, kind of, he had a resurgence. Like, he just started kind of, like, diving into partying and, like, being around people and the nightlife and... I don't think he, he started drinking until he was, was like twenty eight. I, I was think. just gonna say maybe twenty five, and he could correct me on that. But he was like, I think it was later. Edge. I think it may have been twenty eight. Yeah. And, and during that point is when I started hanging out with him. So I got like into him when he was like, I wouldn't say on one, but it was like this really innocent partying where it wasn't yeah. like yeah, yeah. there was like. I mean, I'm sure there was other bad things happening, but it was very simple. Like. You go out, drink, meet a girl. In Austin, at the time when we would go down there, it's like anyone on a bike was like royalty for some reason. Like girls just loved, loved it. Like yeah, loved yeah. it. The out of towners, right? In Austin, Texas, like right. at a bar, and it was just like, yeah. it's like that's everyone's story, and there will be people answers. Like every every out of towner had a girlfriend in Austin for the winter. Everybody. Yeah. You get like, how the hell are you living in Austin? Where are you staying? Like, oh, I got a girl. No wonder Tom Dugan loves Austin. But, <laughs> Absolutely, and 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 him. He just has to ride to the dudes. center of town. Totally, <laughs> and that that but that was like so infatuating to me. I was like, wow, you can just go to this place. It's like a BMX heaven. It's February. You can go swim. You can go ride trails. Yeah. You can go to the bar. I mean, I somehow could go to the bar. Um, what else? And, and it was just like this fucking paradise. You right, know? And I was right. so ignorant to the rest of the scene. Like even when I was down there, I just stuck to my people. Like I didn't meet Joe. I didn't meet. You know Joe Rich or anyone that was down there. I mean, all those dudes. Like the staple core BMX was in Austin, and we were just on our own little thing. Like we knew Chase obviously because Chase was always hanging around yeah. with all the hooligan dudes because he was also involved. It's Chase Hawk, right? yeah. So yeah. Chase was also like coming to PA a lot, and he would stay. Like oh, okay. there was this whole East Coast connection, and sure. And I, I don't. You know, well, I, I, mean, remember, I mean, I remember Nutter and, and totally. all those guys. Totally. Was I remember Clint, meeting... Were those guys taking Clint, trips back and forth? I don't know, probably, but I didn't meet Clint until I was way older. Okay. I probably didn't meet Clint until I was like in my 20s, late 20s. Okay. He might have known about me and I might have known about him. Like, there was right. always... I knew people that Clint rode with, like uh, mm-hmm. Brad Jameson and this other dude I've forgotten. There, there were these... It was this dude, Brad Jameson, this red-haired dude, and then mm-hmm. there were these twins, Tony and I forgot the other dude's name, and they were like... Amazing dude. There were these kids from New Hampshire, like these weird hippie surf kids, oh, so blonde hair brothers. Yeah, and 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 I, I never bring this up because I to them because I just always forget about these dudes. But they ripped like fucking ripped. Yeah. And the way we heard about Clint was like one of the kids rolled up on a tie frame, and we're riding, and the kids yeah. like, yeah, this kid Clint just made it. And we were just like, we're like, what does that mean? You know, tie parts were coming out. Like they right. were like a big selling point at the point at that time of BMX. Clint, if you're listening, I'm not giving up. I'm going to interview you. And everyone wants it. Right, Paulie? I would love to hear it. Because yeah. I was, again, he, Clint was just, like... Uh, call Clint seriousness. He, he is just a... The guy's... I, I swear he's a genius. He's No, he's, it, that was the thing. Is everyone like, I didn't know what it meant, that man. I was like, Ty Frame, what the right. fuck does that mean? But then it's like, yo, this is like... Like, you don't get it. Like, the kid's mm-hmm. making a frame like in his living room. And that was always someone's like, kid's yeah. welding fucking... Time material was poisonous. Like in his living room, his pops. Obviously, once I met Clint, everything full circle made a lot of sense on how he grew up and everything and how he was raised. But yeah, he's wildly intelligent. So like, there was like this weird connection of basically the whole East Coast, and then obviously the migrate, the great migration in the winters to Austin. 
like as I'm discovering. I was I'm, I was in I'm the whole time love, you were out. Yeah, I'm loving talking to guys like you and a lot of people I've talked to because those were critical years. Totally, we're on the cusp. Like, yeah, I, and I say this like where I could have went both ways. I was looking up to Aiken and BF and Chase and right. these dudes that were riding bikes like how I always thought a bike should be ridden. But then there was also like a heavy New York City street scene that was like popping off. That was also like what I, I melted. I mean, I remember hitting up Ralph at Animal and being like, like, hey, I want to send you a video. Yeah. When e- like email was possible then, you know, it was like 2003 yeah, yeah. and like that's yeah. how you contact people. It wasn't like, it was that, like that cost yeah. where there was videos and there was, you know, MySpace and there's all these ways to connect with BMX mm-hmm. riders around the country and the world. And I was, I, I rode four pegs and no brakes. I rode from Long Island all the way into the city so many times. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I was on this weird cusp where I was like just trying to do everything. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, this is amazing. But then it always, like I always, as I got a little older, I pushed towards the trails. I don't know, just because it was easy, it was there. It was something I progressed at so fast in my in my own eyes where I was yeah. just like, well, I could keep up now, right? So I'm 16, I could Plus, keep up. There's something about the woods. Huh? It's always been like that. Something about the woods, yeah. Yeah, ever since I was a kid, for sure. I mean, it's always been... It was the other half, like, for me, as I grew up. It's what made BMX complete. Yeah, you'd race, but trails is where you really showed your identity. Totally. See, I missed the racing. When I when I was 15, racing was like, everyone was riding trails. Uh, Everybody. When you were 15, how, uh, I was what 14, year was that? 2000. So I started riding when I was uh, 2000, 2002, maybe. So when you started riding. Maybe, yeah, 2000 or 2001. Yeah, and there was a mass. I mean, really riding, like, oh, really, yeah. like. But there was a mass exodus of suits, myself, all those guys, 97, 98, yeah. we all bailed. Totally. So I came up, no one was at the track. On racing. I mean, yeah, the track existed. But, like, I wasn't going to go an hour and a half to the fucking yeah. track. I put four pegs on my bike and grind right. a grind box or go to hit a dirt jump. Right. That, you know what I'm saying? So there was, like no need to go to the track that wasn't the hub of bmx there was now videos there was now and i know obviously there's videos but there was the internet there was all these ways to get this media where you didn't have to just go to this one place to get all that right which for a long time was the track that's where you got your news that's where you understood like what's going on and your traveling track to track is how you met people how you advanced as a rider and as a person and you know Mm -hmm. i didn't get any of that i missed that whole period and it's interesting that I took the path I took because of that. Most people are coming from a racing background, yeah. i.e., like a Russ Barone, Kenny Hirsch. Yeah. These dudes grew up racing, right. but they grew up starting to ride when they were 10, 11. And I think I was just like a little later in the. And they also grew up near the track. They're a lot closer geographically. Yeah. Most kids do start a little younger than totally. you started, and the track is the natural place totally. to start. So you, you started the hard way. No, totally. And you. My, man, whole, they, my whole life has it been sounds like that. taking the harder, not, yeah. and obviously my life is far, far easier than, you know, 99% of the world, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I did definitely, like, have to learn, everything was learned the hard way, everything, everything. The do which or is, die way, which is yeah. every, every, hey, doubles are do or die, so you're either Totally, gonna, and I remember being fucking terrified, yeah. fucking terrified, and yeah. I remember, but there's always, older guys are always pushing me uh-huh. and, and and I know I was too smart for them to push me and just see me get hurt like yeah. you know what I'm saying like yeah, yeah, there's yeah. definitely there was always kids who were like yeah send it like just fucking pedal and do it like you but got you knew, it you knew the limit 
Yeah, I've always been reserved. I mean, I think that's one of my biggest downfalls is because I always had a limit. You yeah. know, I wasn't a dude that has no fear. Like, it was all fucking scary. Right. And it still is. Like, there's not a day where I ride where I don't think about how it's fucking terrifying. It is. Yeah. It's dangerous. You know, I I almost think, and at lunchtime, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a set of trails that are near my work, which are really far from home. But there's a set of trails that uh, ever, ever Peacock mm-hmm. works on, and Sam Havernack and Chris Hallman. Right. They're they're all, but they all decide. You know what? Let's rebuild these trails because they were oh, yeah, they there. were dormant trails. What I'm getting at is the other day. I'm so fortunate these guys are doing this because I, I'm the beneficiary. I only have an hour yeah. when I do get to take a lunch to go hit as many things I can. You know, yeah. before I go back to work, because I have to get back to work. So, but these guys have been building and they built up these sets. So now we're talking like modern day trails. So the takeoff is six foot high, a, a, about a foot or two of the, the takeoff is like practically vert. And, and I'm always there when they're not, because they go after work and yeah. I go during lunch. So I'm like, what if they hit? What haven't they? <laughs> so I've been like, chipping away at stuff my point was that whole feeling of butterflies and you're like yeah you know a couple runs at it you turn off the lip and then and then finally just launch it there was a point where i was like fuck it i think so like after like traveling a bit and i was obviously more well versed in traveling and mm-hmm. than most of my friends nobody left the town and it wasn't because financial reasons it was just somehow i had this like yeah this trust and my family just like I, whether they were too busy to really think about it and they were just like this is the person we trust like this dude's almost like our babysitter yeah we can't control this kid because this is like a point after like sports are out the window I didn't do what my dad wanted but I still had a younger sister so yeah. he was focusing on like what he had the connection with was with her and she was an amazing athlete mm-hmm. um, and he focused on her a lot and that was right. great because I was able to focus on me a lot right. and my and my friends and what I really truly love to do and I mm-hmm. think there was you know it was a blessing in disguise that I had that uh, freedom so there was one point where now I'm like 17 mm-hmm. 16 all my friends are going to Woodward right all the kids are right which I is was, not cheap no which is not cheap but at the time it was like $300 a week or something maybe it was 400 it was expensive but now it's like it exponentially grew every year like yeah, $100 say, right now I would think that's not much no but. no but at the time it was like an obtainable number but yeah. I always thought it was too expensive yeah, but yeah. I remember all my friends had this huge plan to go to Woodward yeah. I was already traveling and riding and riding the trail so I was like whatever that's cool like yeah. I was like I don't mind if I like I'm not gonna sit and beg like I don't I was like I don't even have at the time I wasn't working either right. I was like I'm not gonna like what you know I'm not gonna pull the money out of my ass right right dad out of nowhere one day was like all your friends are going to Woodward do you want to go and I remember sitting on my bed and I was just like this would have been mid 2000s yeah I was like 2004 probably yeah and I was like I was like no nah, I don't want to like put that on you guys like it's a lot and like dude go have fucking fun go be with your friends and I would have said like, the same the thing fuck? like no I way I would have said the same thing but I was because already... as a parent you know that you're the window for this kid of yours to really experience these things is so it goes by so fast well see I t- talking about it makes me realize that because at the time I thought they didn't give a shit and it did not like coming from like a standpoint of like being like oh they don't care it was just like right. they're busy they're doing their own thing and I had this great thing going on and if they want to hop on board and follow me cool if they don't like, it's just a very independent sport at the time. It's right. not the racetrack. It's not right. 
driven by competition. It's just what you have in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, obviously that must have been what was going on in their head. Like, oh yeah, they're talking push at night. It. Like, they're talking at night about Paul. Yeah, and they could and they could afford <laughs> it, and I can. Af- and I was like, hell yeah! Like, even you know? even if you can't, you find a way. No, because totally. you know that totally. Paulie's only going to have this one. I chance. mean, I appreciated the hell out of it. I yeah. think at the time too, like that summer, earlier in the summer. Soups hit up Robbie. Robbie at the time was dealing with fit, and mm-hmm. he gave me my first bike for like. I mean, I had to pay for it, but it was like two hundred bucks. I got like a whole fucking setup for a complete. Know? And for me at the time, and that complete then didn't, wasn't like a complete bike now, where there is complete models. It was yeah, like yeah, yeah. an Aiken frame and bars and stem and all nice. separate. It was expensive, yeah, and I got yeah, such a great yeah. deal on it. Again, I don't know how I came up with money for it. Right. I, I wouldn't doubt if John helped me out to a certain extent with some of it. I'm sure my parents helped me out a little bit. Right. And I definitely was working a little bit, but I mean, it was like high school jobs at the deli here and there, like bullshit. Like, were you driving at that time? No, so I did, I was 17. I graduated high school at 17, and I didn't get my license until like senior year. Oh, okay. And my parents didn't have a car. Like, I would just use their car. They like, always did. Yeah, like my dad worked yeah. in the city, so I'd like sometimes use his car, but my school was also close, and I was right. just content. I wasn't yeah. trying to have a car. You know, I just right. like, wasn't, I right. wasn't on my focus. I was mm-hmm. focused on BMX. Right. And I was so focused on it uh, that I didn't give a shit about anything, right. you know? The Woodward thing happened, and I remember that the, there was the little dirt section and there was Big Dirt. Mm-hmm. And Big Dirt wasn't running, and I spent the first two days of Woodward getting the jumps running. Because I was so fucking, like, in the trail mode. Literally sat there and right. got the trails. And people would yeah. come and help me out, and I was cool. But like, I, and then we rode the trails, and I was like, that's all I wanted to do. And like, we would ride right. the other skate parks, but like, it right. was like, I think at the time I was like, like hyped on the back rail Fufanu, which at the time being there, I met this dude, Ben Hiddle, who's an amazing bike rider. Yeah, um, There's a couple other amazing people I met, but Ben was like super hyped on photography at the time. So I like recently sent me a bunch of photos when I was like 16 at Woodward. Really? And I was like, wow, dude, like I thought these were gone. Yeah, oh, that's and it was awesome. so, so cool. But um, so Woodward happened, which I was super fortunate about trying to figure out the connection here. I mean, which I was, must have been weird because Woodward must have been so such a, a, a controlled atmosphere compared to what you had been doing. Oh, in totally! Austin it was like a caged that. animal. Yeah, I was a caged animal, but I was just like, whatever. I'll ride for fifteen hours a day. Like, I'm not going to go to the lesson thing. Like, whatever it is, you have to like go into. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, I didn't even care. Like, I was like, I'm not. I don't want to ride in front of people and show them my skill level. Like they would like rate people, you know, like to where your friends were there. Yeah, and luckily, yeah. like they saw me ride and put me in the group of people where I was like, I think Ryan Herbach, who's another dude yeah, from yeah. Florida. You know Ryan? Yeah, dude, I think he was my counselor. He's a fucking man. He's the really? coolest motherfucker in the world. He was my camp he counselor. Can, he can and fish like crazy. Yeah, he's the man. <laughs> Which he's the man too because I saw him for every fucking year after I went to Twitter. I was like 16 around Twitter and he yeah. recognized me and came up to me and said hello. And that was always my yeah. big issue with like meeting people that like I put on a pedestal. Yeah. Was like I was so nervous to talk to him. Like I would right. never go up to someone. And if I right. did meet you and then you never came up and said hi to me, yeah. I could never go up and be like, yeah. Oh hey, we met like a month ago. I was just like too nervous. I was shook. So in your teens, yeah, in my teens, even to, to today. Like, I mean, I'll go up to people no like way. No, I straight up. A perf- I mean, I I can think of. I mean, anyone. I can think of anyone. So we built Toast one year. The last year there was Toast, uh-huh. and Muller helped me out with the bike through Clint. You know, right. through Credence, and and gave me a deal. 
and uh-huh. you know I wanted to go up and thank him and I was like I didn't I was like nervous you know I was yeah. super nervous I was friends with all his sales reps right. and people that messed with the company Timmy Ball like all the dudes that were building the back end but he was like someone that I was like right. pretty nervous to be like just go and talk to so I was just like kind of like uh right, you know right. like hey you know thanks so much for the bike yeah. and I just never had like it in me to like be like say what I wanted to say to people like ever since I was young because I just I was just nervous like I just like am a very insecure person to a certain extent when it comes to that I hear you, you I, I totally understand I think I, it's I just think as an adult I think I think the part I've seen which is only from like three years ago on you've been like Smiling, outgoing, friendly. Like, totally, totally. I'm not like I, the nicest guy I've met, and yeah, I've just I, been like, "This is great." You know, this is. I, I think it's just also the energy other people put off. Not that Mueller is putting off any sort of energy. There are times where I got like vibes from people, and I like, I'm just like, ah, I just like, you know, I just like step back a little bit because I'm just like nervous yeah. to. I don't know why. It's just like a weird thing in the back of my head sometimes. It's like an insecurity well, issue, which I don't know what it, it stems from. But it was as important to me. Stepping into a place like Kiko, where I, of course, I've known Soups for you know before the time that I stepped out of BMX for a while, but to have other people be friendly made all the difference in the world yeah. because I wasn't riding; I was just there visiting. Basically, yeah. it was the day before the jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but you were you know what so, so nice and like it was just like man it's because these it's, people are so great. It's so easy to just be like. You know, super nice. And it is easy. I think. I think um, something that I always forget is like, you can have an experience with somebody, and just because they don't necessarily remember you, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean like they don't care for you. It's well, just like maybe you need to remind them because maybe they were like in a certain position. Like an example is like any contest atmosphere. People are they're saying hi and this and that, and shaking hands till their hands hurt and they're sore in the course in the throat. Right. Um, right. But, I mean, I was always kind of shook, because at, at that time in my life, when I was younger, professional bike riders were on a major fucking pedestal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would meet Chase, like, I was in Austin, we, we were, like, part, like, we was, like, Chase was, like, partying, he was young, he was, like, doing good for himself, and he was, like, yeah. on ratty Chase shit, where he was, like, out, like, living his best fucking life, and he was partying, we'd meet each other partying, yeah. and go out, and I'd be having beers. I was like, wow, I'm partying with like, you know, Chase Hawk, this is crazy. But then the next I wonder time, if it's because the more you know, and this just came up in the in the podcast I did last night, the difference between kids now and, and kids, you know, twenty years ago is they know so much more before they even get into it that they've already they know so much about say Chase. Yeah. Or Taj or whoever it is that they've already built up in their head. The stigma, yeah, like a thing. Yes. Like it's Whereas like before, we didn't know. We only knew yeah. what we saw in a magazine that was that the picture that we're looking at was actually taken three months ago. Yeah. You know, so it was like <laughs> so delayed. You know what I mean? It's it's not to say it wasn't still awkward to go say hi to someone, but it's almost like kids know too much now. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? And this is going to be a perfect segue into later when we talk about the whole BMX thing. Oh yeah. In parts of the world where it doesn't exist, and and that is ex- because of that exactly is why I have this ambition to do something somewhere else it's because of that it's because where things don't exist that ignorance right. is so magical and it's the purest pure of like why we all it's started like, it's like virgin territory totally. it's like literally legitimately yeah. does not no i know but i feel like so we've talked about new york dude i lived in oregon for nine years oh like, all right let's sit pacific northwest first because yeah, um, obviously there's some people you know out that way 
But at what age did you move out that so, way? Okay, so my last year of high school, Kiko is fine, like pumping. Jumps are there. Best year has ever been. Every line's running. Everyone's progressing. Everyone's amazing. We had this fucking amazing trail scene. Mm-hmm. I think that time hooligan got plowed, so everybody was kind of scattering trail scenes and doing their own thing. So uh-huh. we had this like fucking amazing scene. Yeah. I was 17. I was a shithead. I was a senior in high school doing whatever the fuck I wanted. Right. Getting away with anything because my parents had come from this background of me not having rules. Right. Um, I had Grady Corbett live in my parents' house for four months mm-hmm. in the basement. Like, somehow convinced them that was okay. Like, so that's where the pirate nickname came from. He was, like, looking at me, like... I think the first time you see me, I was tattooed somehow. I had tattoos all over me. I was 16, 17, 17 at the time. And you already had them? Yeah, like, I was just like... I told you. Because you probably got them in Austin. No, I didn't, actually. I got, <laughs> never got tattooed in Austin. It was, like, no. some new weird New York shit where I just, like, met someone in tattoos. Oh, I just figured it was... Hat. It was... Hooper. Uh, oh, no, I wish. If I was getting Thomas. tattooed... Yeah. I think at that, that time Thomas was actually in New York City tattooing. Oh, he really? He might have still been in London, but oh, yeah, okay. he, would, he, he Is was... Is it Hopper or Hooper? I say Hooper. Hooper, but I okay. I wrong. Tom could be yeah. He's someone I never met until I moved to Austin, who I'm idolized yeah. fully just because his story is so fucking cool. He was in New York for a long time tattooing here. and uh, So he's from so this area and moved down he's there? He's from England. I don't know oh. where. Moved to New York, Lower East Side, like during the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then was tattooing here and like then moved to, I don't know his whole story, but I know that he ended up in Austin with his wife and now okay. I gotcha. Okay. So, but I know they are, they lived in the Lower East Side in Manhattan for a long time because I talked to his wife about it yeah, for a yeah, while. Yeah. But, so, wait, where, where did I, I, so, I screwed sorry, you up there. No, we we'll, did. So, this dude Grady comes from California. I, dude, great. I have people visiting me from Europe because I had a house at, my parents just let people stay. Like, it was like a flop house, but it right. was not, you know? Like, right. I remember having high school parties, like, we're just, like, we were partying, like, in the basement, right. no rules. Right. Like, we can do whatever we wanted because basically the theory was if it's here and they're safe, like... That's totally you know, true. I come from a family that, like, I was... I had alcohol introduced to me at a young age, and it was, like, family right. tradition. I come from a bunch of crazy Russians right. and Puerto Ricans, and right. we took a lot of the Russian family tradition, which is, like you're drinking on Easter like all these holidays it's about religion it's about like being with family and kind of enjoying yourself and making a party out of it whether you're drinking or not right Um, so it'd be kind of hypocritical of them to tell you no 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 that's not good my dad can't come home bomb drunk and tell me I can't be drinking like he was down there drinking with us and hanging out you know he had a bunch like but there's so much truth to keep it within these walls then we know you're not there if you had your license I was an uncaged animal that had a lot of respect for humanity right although I did a lot of shitty things I always had a guilty conscience and I right. always knew that like you can fuck up and get in a lot of trouble well, so someone like, helped set that moral compass so. totally I don't know I, I mean I don't remember how it happened but mm-hmm. but yeah I was always nervous about doing the wrong thing right. within reason but like there was like a limit where it was like I was never like downing a 12 pack and driving a car without a license stuff like that you know I was always just like very respectful of you know, because I dealt, when I was younger too, I dealt with the cops a lot. Like, I stood out. Like, I had dreads. I was running around the town. Like, we were causing so much trouble. Like, and we came from a small town. Yeah. I was getting brought home by the cops on a daily basis. And they were trying to <laughs> tell my mom to punish me. And my mom's like, get the fuck out of here. Like, why are you bringing this kid here? Like, you're... We have... Dude, I have stories that this won't even... I'm trying to keep it to things that maybe will hit a broad audience. Because there was shit that happened in that town that was like... I, I could write a book on it and it would be 
whether it was fiction or nonfiction, it could go either way, is mind blowing. Well, crazy neighbors that would follow us, like yeah. we had like like full on beefs with neighbors for months and months and months, where like we would just roll up and like torture Yikes. them. Sit outside their house and just make noise. They would come out, call the cops. We'd run, come back, make noise, ring the doorbell, leave, fuck with our house, leave. Like, and and everyone got a kick out of it. Not right. just us, the people, because they yeah. would come out dressed in crazy outfits and try to right. like spy on us. All this crazy, crazy, like shit, dude. I can't even right. like unbelievable but, but stuff. All this stuff shaped you, and all this stuff made totally. you. In my opinion, I'm just throwing my opinion in there. <laughs> shaped you and and brought you to the decisions that you've made in the past year totally. past six months totally and if these things hadn't happened you I, may not have ended up in kenya which we'll get to later absolutely not so so anyway that's that all be, good stuff I no mean, I, like I, really, yeah, I would do stupid shit but then i would feel terrible about it right and it was it's been like an internal struggle my whole life and that's probably why i'm a poor businessman and you know not the best like when it comes to like you know i just like face value like yeah this is what it's worth i can never like upsell something it's not right. you know i don't know right like, right so then you, get a, you end up having to work with people that value your worth because you aren't necessarily demanding what you're worth totally so, so yeah I, 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 I get that I, get, I totally get that so um but how did you end up in the Pacific Northwest and, okay, where, and so where, is, and okay. where, specifically? Okay, so I'm 17, you graduated. BMX is a thing, I'm not graduated yet, it's the yeah. winter, it's the winter of my senior year, Okay. and it's when you start deciding where you want to go to school. Yeah, yeah. And in my family at the time, school was very important. That was my ticket out of New York, because it was either I go to school or I, or I stay in New York. And I started connecting with people on Facebook. Or no, sorry, MySpace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The right. first person that hit me up is I had a tabletop photo on the last set of Whammo that Joey Cobb shot. And I don't know if you know who Joey Cobb's is, I but he at the time he's a photographer, a BMX photographer. At the time he was working, and I don't know if he still works for Demolition heavily. Um, uh, very involved with Demolition and Volume. I could be wrong on that, Joey. If you hear this, I apologize. For some reason, he was in town. And he shot a photo of me. I just had this one photo where I was like, wow, like, you know, I was so excited about it. my feet are off the pedals, my bike's on top of me, like, right. and my space was popping. So I was like, that's my cover photo, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. I put it up, and then this dude, Jeff, hit me up from Portland. Uh-huh. Little Jeff, who's Jeff Lantizer, okay. who, if you've ever watched Building the Underground, uh, rides to Michael Jackson Beat It, and like, at that time, he hit me up. Building the Underground just surfaced, and somehow we got our hands on a copy of Building the Underground. This is going to segue into why there's bigger jumps at Kiko, and this is going to segue in why I'm in Portland, but this is all one year. So this dude hits me up and plants the seed. He's like, yo, you should come out to the Northwest. Like, we got jumps. Like, let's ride. I'm like, cool. Like, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get out there. I want to be out there. So he totally... And work school into it? Yeah, he, in the fall of... Right senior year of high school and I'm 16 turning 17. Right. So for the next winter, we do winter stuff. I think I might have taken another Austin trip at that time. Maybe I didn't. We're working on the trails heavily. There's people like Jed Rogers that are now involved in the trail. There's all these people coming to the trails now. They're in New York. Barnhart is right. now, that's when I really met Barnhart. He's coming from PA now. Yeah. He lives in New York. Uh, this dude, Jed Rogers, uh, who lives in Austin now, he's in New York. There's all these people. Brian from, lived in Brooklyn for a Brian bit. Brian lived right? in Brooklyn for a bit, and this was all okay. my senior year of high school. And all these people are starting to like surface and start coming to the trails more. And like right. we have like a thing going. It's towards the end of senior year. That's when we were really getting into like stealing the 
tests and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was getting straight A's. I graduated with like a three four, or no, no, sorry, sorry, I graduated three eight. You were practically the valedictorian. I almost had a four zero <laughs> in high school, and I learned I was smart, yeah, yeah, but yeah. not because I took the test legitimately. Like, right. I had a crew of dudes. And we would steal these tests, and I would do them, and then we'd hand out the answers. I learned a shit ton because I had to do the test, and I didn't know if the answers were right, you know? Right. The reason Oregon came about is exactly because of this. I had a certain GPA average in high school. Mm -hmm. University of Oregon, which I had no fucking clue where University of Oregon was, (laughs) what it meant. Lo and behold, one of, like, the biggest football schools, home of Nike, like, home of Phil Knight, home of, uh, you know... um, Olympic trials, it's running uh-huh. Nike Town USA, and it's like wow. Steve Prefontaine stories from Eugene, uh-huh. all these crazy things. I and I had no fucking clue. I just know it's do little Jeff hit me up, lives in Oregon. Yeah. Don't know what that means. Building Underground came out, it's Oregon, Washington, and yeah, Northern yeah. California. So it was there's all dirt there, there's dirt here, but here's kinda like I've been here my whole life and there looks sick. Yeah. So I look in at applying to school in Oregon. Right. Type in Oregon. Right. The, re- the recommendations to get in a school at University of Oregon is to yeah. graduate with a three, six, or better, uh-huh. and your test scores, your SAT scores don't matter. You need no letter of recommendation, you need nothing. Whoa. You just need to show your transcripts. I bombed my SATs, I didn't know how to do it. I fell asleep, I was riding, we were partying all the time. We had a party house a block away from school. Oh we somehow were, somehow, we're, but like I said, always went to school. Senior cut day. I went to school. The senior prank was to cut down trees. I dug holes to plant new trees. I was first row in that class, even though I'd fall asleep every morning. Right. I would still be front row trying, you know? Right. And because of that, I had a good GPA average in high school. Mm-hmm. I was able to apply to University of Oregon. Right. My dad was down to help me fund me living there. Uh-huh. Full on, nothing. He was just like, really? you wanna go to school? I've saved up, you know, his whole life for it. So you right. go to school, Yeah. right? I made it, so I moved to Oregon. Yeah. I moved to Oregon, I have a BMX bike, I come from no rules, I'm in a dormitory. Right. I, Eugene, Oregon is where I planted first. Eugene, Oregon is not where there were trails, but there was a BMX scene, and there were skate parks fucking everywhere. Yeah, yeah. A couple months before I went to Oregon, I broke my collarbone at Posh, so I roll into Oregon in a sling, and I'm like trying to meet people, this and that, and um, which is like, I think that might have been my first injury, which is crazy, I made it that long. I know, um, after that many years. Totally, I mean, I, I ate some really bad shit at Posh before, I have all sorts of crazy little things, but never yeah. like one where I was like, all right, right. going to the hospital. So I roll up to Oregon, broken wing, yeah. coming from a crazy last year of school where like right. living at my house, there's no fucking rules. I think my parents at that time were kind of going through this like thing with their relationship, so there was really no fucking rules. Yeah. And um, yeah. so I move into an atmosphere where there's a lot of rules. Mm. I met a girl, and I made it one month, and I dropped out. Really? One month, dropped out. One month in Eugene. Eugene is like this little hippie town. Like moving from New York and being in New York City right. to go to there, I was just like, whoa. Yeah. And it wasn't like cow farms and stuff like that. Right. Whoa, but it was like different. You know, it was a yeah, lot different. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that was different is the scene like wasn't a scene. Like I was like, there was a huge BMX scene in Eugene and Oregon. I mean, Blueprint, the, the stuff Shad filmed, uh, and all those amazing videos were all these very scene-centric areas, but they kind of fizzled out. The older guys fizzled out and the younger guys didn't connect with each other. So I, my first thing was like, let's make, like we hang out. Like I was like in New York, we fucking hang out together. Like that's right. what we do. So I go, right. went to the skate park once my shoulder's better. This was like that first month coming off an injury. Yeah. 
and I meet a couple of kids here and there. I'm like, hey, you should come hang out. Let's hang out, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, that, that started like my, my Oregon thing. And I hung out, I made it one month and a half in, in a dorm, dropped out, because I like got into some trouble. I wound up getting tackled by a school security guard because we were riding our bikes around the campus and I never told, they were like, get the fuck out of here. And I was like, never told them I went to school there. So like they thought we were just on the campus fucking around. Somehow this like dude hulked me out, tackled me off my bike. I had a bad shoulder, re-fucked my shoulder up, blew Uh, my whole face open. I'm in cuffs, uh, about to get arrested. Then the cops pull out my ID and they see I'm a student. All of a sudden my cuffs fall off. I get whisked away. But I'm like, dude, fuck this place. Like this is bullshit, I'm out. I dipped, I was like kind of fell in love with this girl. So. We were kept in cahoots and talking. I was like, and this is November, and I was like, I think I was home for like a month and a half. I was mm-hmm. home for like November, December, and I was like, yeah. bomb, dude. I was like, damn, I didn't make it. You know, right, like right. winter, shitty. Right. Uh, I wound up convincing my parents to let me go back. Yeah, yeah. I go back. I get an apartment for four hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Half a block from campus. Right. Four hundred dollars a month, but yeah. it's cheaper than the dorms. The dorms sure. are expensive. Right. And I didn't know at the time because I wasn't right. paying for anything. Sure. Dorms are expensive. So I meet, so I, you know, connect with this girl. She has a car there. She lets me use her car. I can do whatever the fuck I want. So I'm driving up to the trails every, every, I'm start meeting the dudes that have the trails. Like when I went back, I was like, hey, like meet a couple people. I'm like, yo, where are the trails at? Like, how do you get to the jumps? Like, I want to go where the building underground is. I want to go ride these jumps. Right. And I start talking to Jeff. I, I link with, uh, with Shad. I link with uh, this dude, Bean. Brennan Britton, who made the video, uh, Justin Inman, like all these dudes, man, like all these dudes that I put on this crazy pedestal because this video was breakthrough trail video. We're like, wow, the reason our jumps got big was like, those jumps are big. We need to make our jumps that big. There's dudes making jumps that big. We're riding, we're making it that big. That's where like when Creature, the last jumping Creature is 28 feet. Like that's the reason it's 28 feet. Like, and at the time I remember, we're like, well, we're not, we're, we're, this is where the scene is from. Like, this is where it's from. Like, we're not going to let other dudes, like, right. one up. Like, right. so there was, like, a pissing contest for the right. bigger jumps. Oh. And we had the land to do it. I mean, Posh had big jumps. Caddy at the time was going through their transition back into, like, their whole thing where they were, like, rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was big jumps, but it was, I, right. for us, it was very centered around that one video. Yeah, yeah. So I go there based on a video. Yeah. I meet the dudes at the trails. I'm taking, bless this girl. Like, I haven't spoke to her in probably 10 years, but I'm just driving her car. I would just leave for three, four days. I didn't go to school. I didn't just, like, fucking, I didn't know what was going on, you know? And I would just be up at the trails digging every day. Met this all was, these dudes. All this these was dudes. your second time back in school? My second time back in school. And there's a third and a fourth. <laughs> oh, God. So I drop out again. We may not have enough time I drop out four. I drop out again. I move to where the jumps are. Yeah. I link with these dudes. Where it's like the whole point of it is like Building Underground 2 is being filmed. Yeah. And like we're all part of Somehow I'm like the not Northwest dude that's like yeah. in the Northwest scene. Dude, I mean, one of my, all my friend, best friends are from there. Darren Reed, uh, Bean, Inman. So many people. Shad. Like yeah. literally fucking everyone was still in Portland. Rich yeah. Hirsch was still in Portland. I mean, there was a fucking big... DMX scene in the Northwest yeah. when I was there. Like, right. that's like where a lot of really cool shit came from. Yeah, yeah. And that's where a lot of really cool shit is still coming from. But like, I was there on the cusp where everyone was kind of like branching out and leaving, but I was, it was yeah. still there. So I drop out again. I live in Salem, Oregon, which is a hell of a place to live yeah. uh, for like six months. I'm living in a garage, like built a room, like involved. And most of my friends are like 15. Like, I don't know nobody. I don't know anybody. There are I know really? some kids that ride this one skate park all the time. Wow. And none of them ride the trails. Only the older dudes rode the trails. Right. I'm like right. 18. 
I'm gonna like brush through this, but this is a big no, part a big... of my life is living in Oregon. Oh, I yeah. lived in Oregon from when I was 17 until I was 25. Oh wow! So like I mean I would come back. So you've only been back for three people years. would meet me and think I was from Oregon. Oh, no, okay. you're from Oregon because a lot of the people that I met from the West Coast uh, didn't know me from the East Coast. So when like, I met you, you were probably just fresh back. Yeah. Wow, because that was like two thousand years ago. Yep. Yeah. But I was fresh back. Sorry, I was fresh back. I was twenty-five. I was in Oregon, so I lived in Salem for six months, and literally was only the trails. That was a whole scene in itself. That was a a crazy time in my life. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're all crazy times. They definitely got arrested there naked, which which is another funny, which is another funny Austin story. I take a trip to Austin from Eugene. I meet a bunch of dudes. I meet Mark Hall. I meet this kid Paul. I meet all these dudes, and they're vagabonds of the time traveling yeah. too. There's like a drunk night where we're bombing a hill, and somehow yeah. I wind up getting arrested, <laughs> butt naked, butt naked, going to jail naked, no clothes. No, Suddenly, none. Tom Dugan sounds like a pretty boring guy. <laughs> I. I, no, you know what, Tom? <laughs> I'm just kidding because he's got the he's got the cardboard cut out of him Dude, naked. He was you know? doing wild shit though. Like at a time where I was just like, we were sitting back and laughing too. We're like, because there was a East Side Dugan beef where he, the whole trail right. Nazi video. Like oh, right, we were right, right, dying. Right, right. I was dying. Yeah. That's the funniest shit I've ever seen. Yep. But that was like how long I was. It was the trail Nazi thing yeah. was real there. Like I right. told you, like I would get right. shut down for skidding. Like right. we're done. Right. Not even hitting a jump right skidding yeah stopping stopping because you, so don't you wouldn't wreck the jump right i didn't get a chance to wreck the jump you get done right. <laughs> take a seat take a breather oh man so that's, that's hilarious i live in salem i'm young i'm even more loose than i was before yeah i can drink like a maniac and don't get a hangover i'm progressing at riding right. still but i'm still i've already accepted like i'm not going to be a professional bike rider like i'm not yeah. i was yeah. never i was never a marketable person because right. I think I was just too loose and people mm-hmm. and I just never cared about it you know like I mean, and I hate to say it that's the only reason people are professional bike riders but like in an industry you're trying to sell a product right you choose people that are the top of the top right. and you choose people that are good role models right being right. an 18 year old dude like partying like a wild lunatic doing dumb shit is not a good and, and whether my riding was up to par or not like I don't know but like get away with it you know, but again, a couple decades my goal ago, wasn't but... my goal was to keep up, which maybe that was a small, too small of a goal to set. But like, yeah. I, I I accomplished it. I learned to tail whip. I was able to do a three sixty on jump right. bike. I pushed my limits where I was right. pumped. Right. And and BMX was always there, but I started doing other stuff. I started getting into art. I started um, when you were in Oregon. Yeah, I mean, I always was doing stuff in New right. York. Like I was doing a lot of like photography and film work. Like when I was younger in high school, we'd always film videos, always film skits. Always oh, okay. film BMX stuff, right? And do little movies and dumb little things. I mean, Jackass was out during that time, CKY right. video. So right. like, there was our culture was able to feed off these dudes, and it was like we we're right. always doing dumb shit like that. You know, that's probably like a big reason that made did stupid shit. So but art art started in New York and continued. Art started in always forever and continued more so in Oregon when I had to start. So I go to school, um, I drop out like twice once twice in Eugene mm-hmm. I moved to Salem for six months I infiltrate that scene and become family with everyone because it's so amazing and like right. everyone was so humbling and welcoming and to make some of my best friends but like god damn yeah. that was a crazy time of life dude to be that where I was at in life yeah, and yeah. see the shit I saw and like be around 
the things I was around and just like the way of life there was so foreign to me. It was like such a good learning experience. Right. And those dudes are so amazing. But I hit a lull where I was like, dude, I need to get the fuck out of here. And my only my only way to get out of here is to figure out school again. So at this point, my dad fucking gave up on me with funding anything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like as far as like... Because you were how old then? I, well, I was still only 18 or 19. Oh, okay. Mind you, I went to college at 17. Right. I turned 18 in college. Yeah. And then 19, I was like in Salem. Maybe 20, I moved to Portland. Right. So anyway, I moved to Portland because I filled out an application to go to Portland State University, which is like a state right. school. And they like, whether they fucked up or not, right. I was getting in-state tuition. So they really? made me a resident. And I was Even like, though you weren't a resident. Yeah, and I got a recommend. I got a letter back. And I was like, boom, dude, I'm out. Bean, thanks yeah. for letting me live here. Right. You know, my whatever, 100 or $200 a month, I was paying him to live in the garage. Literally, nice. in the garage. I was like, I'm out. And uh-huh. I went up to Portland and I moved downtown and then that was like a whole other scene because that's when I met everyone that's when I was like riding more but I was also like doing my own thing I was I started meeting more and more people from the northwest more BMX dudes more people are staying in my apartment I'm making these connections or I make some of my best friends Darren Reed people that I looked up to in BMX so much are now my friends you know what I'm saying and like I was like the East Coast kid, and like Darren, Darren always gave me shit for it. He's like, "I right, fucking salty East Coast motherfucker!" Like, but he was never salty. He was just like giving me shit. And salt has been around for a long time, forever. And I didn't realize it was so associated with the East Coast. Oh, dude, forever. But like, listen, I was able to move to the Northwest, right, and have a camera on me for another building underground video where I, I have five years of footage that this dude Adam has that who knows what he's doing with it because he's like Provo? no it's dude Adam Perez he's like oh, okay. we don't know where the footage is nobody yeah. knows but there's a whole other video oh, and like there are never got five years of everyone and it's just like oh. there was all these like disagreements with people some people fell off some people got went to jail like people got in trouble like it was like this whole fucking yeah. thing happened See, um, I was in Oregon I was in Oregon from 17 until 23 or 4 four or five one of those yes yeah, so, so like, I start carving a path myself I drop out of school like three times and go back to school that's what made me move to Portland I finally yeah. finished school meanwhile I'm you really school I finished school I graduated with a degree in graphic design from Portland State University you um, actually through all that you stuck I with school graduated. for a four year yeah. degree yeah it took me six but I made a four year bachelor's degree in bachelor of arts and focus on graphic design so then you and what that, made you decide actually wait let me ask you a couple questions from Portland or from Oregon in general. Whatever you want. All right. Well, just a shout out to Alter Your Alter. He wanted to know how you got into BMX. We answered that. Yeah, um, that's like a fucking podcast in itself. Yeah, exactly. For everyone. Is Pat Schrader from Oregon? Or no, Oregon? Pat's from... Pat, where are you from? Pat's from Ohio, I think. Me, there was an Austin... There was an Ohio-New York connection my whole high school life where we were going... All the Ohio dudes would come to New York, and we'd always go to Ohio because Ray started. Pat was right. someone who was a big hand in building Ray's. Oh, oh I got you. So got you. Um, we would always go visit all them. Nina was in Ohio. Like, we had this huge East Coast Ohio connection. I so we were you. always traveling back and forth. And that was also during that time from 15 to 17. Oh, okay. All this shit happened in oh three years. It's crazy. Wow, man. you packed it in. Dude, I well, know. Well, he just wanted to bust balls and say whether you, were, whether you were even worthy of the podcast. Pat, probably <laughs> not. I've... <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm blown away by the fact that I'm sitting here talking, but it's nice to like... You should not be blown away by it, because it's for good I reason. Mean, it's for really good reason, <laughs> trust me. And you know I've been trying to connect with you and, and oh, work out 
ever since I followed your whole journey, but we'll get to that later. So it's, it, I, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. Totally, this, I appreciate it. I was going to say, it sucks that there's such a big lead up to that. Why? It doesn't suck, it's just like time constraints. Like I just like... There's no time constraints. All right, then we'll keep going. No, there's... Start the, selling the, I have zero <laughs> agenda, zero time limits, nothing. Again, I know it's not... This guy, he goes by uh, Daza NW. Yeah, it's, that's Darren Reed. That's Darren Reed. It's okay, Darren. There you go. You got some Darren Reed. Reed. All right. I don't know. I've got your. He's Darren one of Reed. the best fucking bike riders. He's one of the most stylish bike riders. He's one of the most talented human beings and bike riders that I I've ever met. And our connection yeah. through all the craziness that happened in Portland was always so strong. He's fucking. An amazing human. He's someone I've looked up to as a bike rider uh-huh. since that video, and like just when we were able to connect and become friends, I was it was I was besides myself. Awesome. I gave no fucks about BMX at that point. It was just mm-hmm. wow, I'm with people that I care about like that, and we're friends, right. and we're sitting, and we're having a beer on the river, and maybe we're going and riding the trails. Yeah. And I'm in a, I'm filming video with them. These dudes, like, I, it was crazy, right? You know, for me, I was like, I don't give a shit about anything except yeah. the fact that I made where I'm. At, I made a goal, and that was it for me. You know, like I made my own reality happen, and to most people, it's like well, he's got lots of questions because he wants to know. Obviously, we got to get through the rest of this Portland, you know, before you made it's your long. transition. It's a big. It's a big. That was that was that was half my life, well, my, my BMX life. Yeah, but like for me as an adult, adult life, a, a big huge chunk of my life. Anyway, he wanted to know. Tell us, tell us a party story from when you lived in downtown Portland. <laughs> um. You can decline them. No, absolutely not. No, no, no. This is... Fuck, I want to think of a good one, but it's it, there was never, like, one. Well, you can go back to it because there's so many different Okay, questions. I'll go back to it because there's definitely... There's, okay. Him asking me that question is, like, dude, that the five years melted together. Like, right, everything right, right, was right. a party story. It's too bad. <laughs> well, you could pick one, but he also wants to know about rooftops, rats... The one that got away, oh Ron, Ron Jeremy, and what it's like to be called East Coast in the North. What it, what it's like to be being called East Coast in the Northwest. So, when I first moved to Portland, somehow I, I was in transitioning from Salem to Portland. I was living with this kid, little Caleb, at the time, and his mom that lived like 20 minutes outside of Portland. And I was taking the bus from Salem up to Portland, which was a miserable experience because it was just like, I had no way to get around. I had no fucking money. I was working at like a sandwich shop. It was just like, right. it was hard, man. And I was like trying to figure out school. So I found an apartment in downtown Portland. And downtown Portland is crazy because at the time, I don't know if it's changed more now because I haven't been there in a little bit, but it was like the homeless population was like absurd. And I lived yeah. right behind a crazy homeless shelter. I lived on the second floor of, an, of a parking garage. Yeah. My back window, yeah. you open it. You uh-huh. walk out of the window and you're on the second floor of a parking garage, locked in. It was amazing. We're amazing. Wow. Right? Like, you could just go out and hang out there all night, whatever you wanted. And wow. the building was fucking crazy. The dude that lived next to me was a crazy big cocaine dealer that was, like, pushing heavy drugs. There was pill dealers, drug dealers, cops are there every other day. Like, people locked in cuffs, stabbing. Like, shit in an apartment building. Because it was half it was Section 8 and half it was not Section 8. Unfortunately, I didn't get the Section 8 part because my rent was not cheap at all. The Rach was, and Darren come down from Tacoma, and we're partying one night. And again, I'm not even old enough to go to the bar at this point, I don't think. But I know everyone in downtown Portland, I could get into the bars. Yeah. And uh, and everyone there is on a loose bender. Like, everyone was on a very loose bender. It was, oh, like, God. very party-centric. Yeah. It was very... 
it was the summertime, it was fun. The Rach was this girl that GJ met, and I don't know how, like, we're always questioning how GJ even meets a girl because he's out of his fucking mind. Right. But, you know, he, like, goes to my apartment one night, and me and Darren stay out late, and he's like, I don't know what he's doing with this girl, but he didn't, like, seal the deal, and then, right. you know, we wake up, and we're like, gee, what happened, you know, and he's like, Rach, the one that got away, Rach, <laughs> like, just, like, you have to meet GJ to really understand, like, how, it's so stupid, but it was like, yeah, yeah. me and, D, like, DR could make you laugh like right. just anything just like a smoker's cackle laugh it's just like his fucking laugh man is contagious and like you know at the time I'm riding a lot and we're right. fucking right. riding the best I've ever ridden in my life yeah. like my head is fucking on cloud nine somewhere right and that's just like that whole scene was like that there were just like ahead of the curve crazy motherfuckers that have great intentions and they're some of the best bike riders I think in the entire world and but the way they lived would blow your mind they're not eating protein powder and doing push-ups right, right, and working right. on their shoulders. They're fucking out smoking, there drinking, smoking, drinking, yeah. and then DR will pedal in 360 a set and look like he's the best bike rider there is. Like, take That's take amazing. all your things on style and just toss them in the garbage. He's right. the man, you know? Right, like, right. And that was that whole scene. It was the underground. It was the underground niche of people. Dude, every bike rider there that had no light shine on was a professional bike rider. Yeah. They might not have got paid. They might not have got bikes. Right, right. These dudes were so good at bike riding. Well, got hooked. Sponsors, you know, but... like Inman was a, rode for oh, Fit for a long Inman. time. Yeah. Darren rode yeah. for Diamondback, rode for... Uh, oh, really? Darren was sponsored by a lot of big companies, but he was always more on the... on like He was never like... Uh, Darren's always sponsored. Paul Kittner. Um, oh, wow. He's yeah. from that area, too. He's from too. Seattle. Darren's from Tacoma. Um, Shad Johnson's yeah, yeah, Oregon. Right. Uh, Rich Hirsch is from Oregon. If mm-hmm. I, I mean, I could, he, I could be corrected, but I'm pretty sure he's from Oregon too. Mm-hmm. Um, man, there's so many people. I can't even Andy Merrill, uh, just all these dudes. And I was again to segue a little bit down down Portland. Like we were Brian Burnside every morning, every morning. Like yeah. that was our shit. Like we yeah. had, we were the dudes, and we were allowed to ride Burnside. Like right. all the hate that happened before I got there. Like yeah. somehow, again, I was on that lucky cusp yeah, where like. Yeah. BMX, we were always allowed till noon. Like, and we, right. I mean, we dealt with some shit, but like, yeah. Burnside's a whole other crazy thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. So in Oregon, I'm going to school. I'm living downtown. You know, I meet another girl. I'm yeah. like wifed up, kind of. I have a girlfriend. I live in a house. At one point, I live in an apartment. Oh, I've gotten kicked out of two apartments by now because yeah. I always had people staying with me. But everyone I met through those trips, because I would go to Austin, Port, they always just thought I was from Oregon. Uh-huh. And I was like, dude, you don't even know. Like, I'm not. Like, I have a whole life before that. Wow. You know, in, in New York. Since I don't know a lot about Darren Reed, I gotta look him up. You're gonna be blown. I hope DR listens to this. Anyone that listens to this that knows well, I about follow- building underground, he's yeah. he's the be- he's one of my he's one of the best bike riders. I follow him. I just need to dig in a little more. He posts a lot more like about his life. He's not like that's the thing is that whole scene was like, dude, we're just riding bikes. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not like no, that's all I'm looking. You're for. not trying to like like send a video in or like no, no, meet no, no, people no. or the industry you know what I'm saying it was like we're in the northwest it's this yeah, whole yeah. little special pocket like literally the whole theory was like fuck everyone else like this right. is our shit and right. I infiltrated that I was lucky enough to be taken under everyone's wing again and right. I just fit in because that's how the east coast dudes did it right where the east coast dudes I, I messed around with yeah, and yeah, all yeah. the hooligan guys it was like you go to the trails you bring a 12 pack you know you roll up and you prove yourself as a person before a yeah. bike rider your bike riding comes second your personality and who you are is always first. That's what I love about it. I think that's what people are so infatuated with the trail scene is because that's what it is. That's that 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 breeds some of the best bike riding because it's so pure. It's not and the about best friendships. Exactly. 
you have yeah. to work your ass off to ride. Right. There is that real right. passion behind it because you're not getting fucking paid to right. ride your bike. Right. It's not happening. Yeah. You're paying to ride your bice. Well, you're, you're paying you're, fa- you're faced with why you're really doing it. Totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, The totally. reality of why you're totally. really doing this. But um, you know what? I'll ask you another one. Greg Dixon. He's become a really good friend of mine. He's an this. amazing person, too. He, he, yeah. I met him in Eugene. When I was in Eugene, and... There's this question. So, when I was in Eugene, yeah. first, we kind of built, rebuilt this scene that already existed. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I had a hand in building it, but I was like, yo, guys, I have an apartment... Yeah. Come hang out on Friday nights. We'll have beers. We'll yep. hang out. We'll barbecue. Uh-huh. We'll go to the skate parks during the day. Right. Like, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to be fucking friends. Like, you're a good bike rider. You're a good bike rider. You right. rip. You rip. You rip. Yeah. You guys fucking rule. Yeah. Let's hang out together. Yeah, Just because yeah. you live th- at this skate park yeah, and this yeah. skate park, like, fucking get in your car and drive 15 minutes. To the- there was, like, right. four or five skate parks yeah. within, like, a five-mile bubble. Right. Amazing parks. Right. So, Greg Dixon, I don't know why he was in Eugene, but... Around this time, yeah, I met a person. He's a Wisconsin guy. I met this guy named Frank right. Walters. Okay. Who, if you uh, were involved in Solid BMX, which was very West Coast centric, his brother uh, rode for Solid, and there was always uh, the Walter brothers. They're always yeah. like uh, involved in the West Coast, right. Northwest BMX scene, heavily, very heavily involved with Solid right. bikes. Um, Blueprint, the video that yeah. uh, Shan made, and um, there was um, he had this house with jumps in it. Like legitimate trails, and he also had a barn with a ramp in it. Uh-huh. So in the winters, it was miserable in the north. Everyone would go and ride this barn setup. Right. And it was just like so. How long was Greg there? I don't remember. I think like a couple Parks months, like a whole winter, maybe like a summer. And he was shooting photos and stuff too. Like there's some photos of surface that he shot. Yeah. Um, but I think he was there. I don't know if he was like dating a girl that moved there or something like yeah. that. But See, there was like on one at the skate park so it's yeah. just like there's always these little shithead kids it was always BMX skate well, centric alright like, well, let me ask the question then because it's going to lead right into that he said just mention screaming at the kids at about Kron at Bethel Park in Eugene Holly <laughs> is the best so like right, so everybody in the northwest yeah you know how weed is very like promoted now like marijuana smoking is very yeah. promoted now in BMX which I think is fucking whatever like capitalizing off people's bad habits is fucking stupid but that was just like culture it was very culture, you know it was just like weed was everything so everyone called like good weed the cron like it was just like chronic so just like a whole other world of shit like but yeah we like we just like had this like I don't know dude it was cool it was a great time to be alive and like again some of my best me feeling the best on my bicycle and feeling so progressive in my own right mm-hmm was during those times in Oregon and I was like I was just hungry like I wanted to like really push myself let's ask you an art question Evan or, Smedley from Harrisburg okay he's I know a, Evan very well yeah he's a really cool guy anyway he asks first he wanted to make a comment best dude and your art is amazing thank you what got you into art and drawing specifically um, I should say art was just always like in high school it was our outlet like we can only ride a couple months a year so the rest of the months we were filming videos and making fucking skits and like doing dumb stuff like that and photography and uh and drawing a little bit but I never knew I could draw like the way I draw is you know I'm not gonna sit and like be able to paint like a portraiture of someone like that like I just found a way to draw that I enjoyed I was just going to school man it was it was fiend like fiending to like be better than you know the last month of my life I was always trying to progress like I was going to school for graphic design Uh and I didn't even know what the fuck it meant I just started like drawing on the computer 
you know, and I was like, mm-hmm. cool, I just did something, I fucked around one time and I did a portrait of my dog, my little chihuahua, that I got from my buddy little Caleb's mom with another weird Portland story that I'm not going to tell, but... No, that's okay, but that's the dog that you brought back home, right? Yeah, so that was a dog I took on a motorcycle trip across the country with me. I remember. I, well, um, I remember seeing the dog. Yeah, yeah. The trails, but that dog's still around? Mm-hmm. Okay. I got into art because of a dying need to try to get through school mm-hmm. and illustration. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I, mean, I just wanted to finish the chapter, and I was like, what the fuck? So... Mm-hmm. I started drawing and I started doing pet portraits and I was making money doing it. I was supporting myself the last two years, year and a half I was in Portland. I was Uh making a living drawing people's animals and like doing these like craft boutiques and stuff. Yeah. And this is all freehand, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I have, it's a mix. Like I do, I do a lot of digital art. It's, I mean, it's all drawing, you know, it's just like, again, I'm not sitting there like. It starts by hand though? It starts computer. Now it starts by hand. It used to start computer. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. I would go hand. Okay. And then my whole thing was always like, people are always like, oh, you use a computer, it's a tool. And then nobody would ever come up to me and be like, oh, well, how are you doing this? And I would be like, it's on a computer. And then they would start laughing and being like, well, I don't understand. And I was like, well, I just draw on the computer. Like, it's the same thing. Right. I'm just drawing on the computer. Right. It's the same thing if I sat there on paper, except that I just could fuck up more and it's less, like, I don't have to start all over. You know what I'm saying? So I started drawing on the computer. To challenge myself, I would then take it out of the computer and do everything by hand. So whether I painted it large scale, uh-huh. or I printed it, cut it, cut wood, and did these resin pieces, like I was just whatever I could do, and people liked it. Mm-hmm. And um, like I got out of school, I never had like I worked at a deli, and I worked for the deli doing like backhand construction stuff and painting, not artistic painting, painting. And I would go home in the summers in New York and paint houses and make cash. And I come back, you know, whatever, like a thousand, two thousand dollars at that time, I could stretch it out forever, you know? Right. When you so, get back to work. Yeah. To answer Evan's question, I got into illustrating and drawing because of school. And I got into doing this whole animal thing because of school. And it was just, it was something that people started liking. And I was always, and I just ran off it. I wasn't looking for the approval from anyone, but I was like, well, damn, if this is getting a good response, like, I'm not going to stop it. But I never got like a real job. I never sat and applied for a graphic design job. I never sat and applied for an illustration job. I was just, at that time, I was still like BMX. Mm -hmm. So then I moved from Oregon. I was in a relationship with a girl and we split up and she wound up actually going to the Navy. I married her so she she had a child, not from me. She wanted to be going to the Navy. She comes from a career military family. Mm -hmm. The only way for her to not lose full custodial rights of her kids is to be married. So I married her at a courthouse. Um, she goes to the Navy. I take a motorcycle trip with Chester Blacksmith, me, my buddy Max, my buddy Andy, and this kid Jason across the country. And I have my dog. I sell everything I own. I get rid of my whole Portland chapter. I put it in a dumpster. And I dip. And I go to the East Coast. And on my way to the East Coast, we stop in Austin for two weeks. And then I was like, well, I can live here now. I did not go to school, not right. in a relationship. Very I don't know familiar. Nothing. Yeah. I go back to New York. I work for two months, three months, save up enough money to go back to Austin mm-hmm. and go back to Austin for a toast contest, actually, on my motorcycle in four days Must by myself the ones. in the rain. No, it was one of the second, it was the second one. Out of, what, they had four or five? Yeah, like I think it was the second one. So I took a solo motorcycle trip with one pair of clothes on 
<laughs> four days, shit my bike down there, get there, ride a contest, which Darren was, we hung out the whole time and I was in no shape to ride. No one was. Back to Oregon, toasted I lived in, in Austin. Te- toasted in Texas, were you? Oh, bad. Yeah. So I lived in Austin for two, two years, mm-hmm. on and off. I like keep doing that stuff. But then I meet Corrigan, I meet, okay. I meet Ryan Corrigan, I start hanging out with James Nutter, I start hanging out with Clint Moore and Maddie, and like, we have this whole family down in Austin now. Right. And that was like the other chapter, I don't know if there's any... There's oh, there's a Ryan Corrigan question, no worry. Oh, of course. There is. Ryan, Ryan, for the record... I can't wait to meet Ryan. Ryan, Ryan took me in under his wing, but granted, when they, people were breaking down toast, like the, the first toast contest, mm-hmm. I was there every morning, 8 a.m. for free. Yeah, I didn't expect shit right. to break down the ramps and help out. I just knew that right. where I come from in the trail world, you show what you're worth and you expect nothing. And then what you get out of it is what you get. And I expected nothing. I just wanted to meet everyone. And everyone I was staying with was going there every morning to work. So hell, I would go too. I'd say Soups did a pretty good job on you. I'm, I think it was like a conglomeration of just the I trail world. But it's, I mean, it's easy to say Soups because... Don't the, give him too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just but he kidding. was the trail boss, so. No, he. Of Pico, Andy took you under his under his wing. He did, man. He's a big reason why. So, I he's the reason I I kept riding bikes, you know. Right. Right. Uh, it was the reason I met a lot of people. It's pretty awesome, man. I mean, yeah. that many years later, it was still well, making an impact. Yeah. And, and you know, and he's done still to the day done a lot of stuff for me. Mm-hmm. If I was in a tr- shitty situation, I could call him anyway. I'd drop him a dime to you, help me out however he could. And that's amazing to me. And I couldn't, mm-hmm. you know. I, likewise, if it was reversed, it'd be the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I spent 26 years basically, like everyone, being a BMX vagabond. Right. But going through periods where I love it and I don't love it. I think, like, most importantly, I started riding for this company to take, which was a branch off of FBM. It was a separate company that FBM acquired, and they were like more of like a new schooly like. What was it called again? The Take on Life. Oh, really? But it was just like FBM was producing all the product, but I, w- I never really dealt with Steve with that. I dealt with uh, Herbs and John Lee. Uh huh. But mainly Herbs and this dude Jeff Dupaul was like the TM, so they were giving me like bikes, which Jeff was Jeff Dupaul, the guy yeah, from Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who he is. Super cool guy. Very. Yeah, the guy's awesome. So he was um. He was the TM. It was an opportunity to like do something and we went on some trips, but it was all very FBM style trips, like trips we took like, you know, it was in our cars. We had no budget. Although they did fly me down to a toast, which was amazing. Like yeah, I never got anything free in my life, you know? So flight down to Austin and, and contest fees and shit, I was like, Wow, like I'm living, like this right, is crazy. Right. And again, like again, those are those small term goals where I was like, Cool, that's all I wanted. Like that's right. it. I could like Mm-hmm. I could be done. I'm so happy now. Ryan wanted to know. Ryan Corrigan. Huh? I don't want to hear it. What is, what is your uh, you want to know. How do you like raccoon shit in Texas rattlesnakes? Okay, so Ryan took me under his wing in Austin and started giving me work. And I knew dick. I never touched a tape measure. I didn't come from a carpentry background. I was digging trails and right. that was it. Right. I could take a jump. You know what 25, 29 foot is. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, I know how it is to sweat and rock paper scissors to test jump a thirty foot jump. Oh, literally at the top of a roll and like this, like rock paper scissors shoot to who hits it first. I, but I, I didn't believe- know how an eighth of an inch, a sixteenth of an. I knew nothing. And By the way, knew- we called that a lo- the Long Island Thirty. In Connecticut, <laughs> we call it the Long Island Thirty. Okay, but it's I like, like twenty nine and something. 
whatever. Those renditions of the jump. <laughs> that jump could be 35 feet. At this point in your life, you realize. You know what? It's a beast anyway. I love totally. seeing people air it out. But anyway, go ahead. Ryan took me under his wing and started employing me and giving me work and teaching me carpentry. And between him and Nutter, who's an amazing teacher, I learned a skill set you know, that's made me a lot of money to be able to support myself that I never had. Because I didn't come from a... I come from a family... My dad was working for as an engineer for a while and then for a bank, and my mom was a school teacher. Like, right. we didn't come from the, you know, like, cutting wood family. Manual skilled labor. Yeah, I mean, we did stuff, like, obviously, right. but it wasn't like, hey, like, let's, it's Sunday, let's, like, build a, build a shed. Ryan employed me multiple times and treated uh-huh. me like family because, and I treat him like family, but we went and did, so we did a job at Woodward uh-huh. for a month at Woodward West. And the whole time I was under the ramps because every nail, when they did the ramps there, there wasn't yeah. galvanized nails yet. Oh, so okay. galvanized nails, believe it or not, are only a new thing for the past maybe 15 or 18 years, which I was like, figured. Kind of makes sense. Totally. But so non-galvanized metal rots out. So every mm. single rib of this entire skate park at Woodward West was rotted out. Right. So I was under a ramp for a month fixing broken ribs and I was just ha- and it was just raccoon shit everywhere and he would give me shit every time because he was like how is it down there I'm like you right. motherfucker dude like you're throwing me in raccoon piles of shit like <laughs> like and you guys are just chilling so up top they, living that's where and then the Texas from. rattlesnake question oh, shit. this is a good story and I yeah. tell this story all the time but so the last Texas toast was out in this field uh, south of Austin on your way to Lockhart about 20 miles uh, maybe 15 uh-huh. miles we're building this another another month long project where it's just Ryan said, hey, you want to work? We don't ask how much. We just we show up, we work. And it was me, Nutter, uh, thing. There was a couple people, but we'd ride out every morning by, you know, on our motorcycles. We'd go wake up at 6, be there by 6.30. Wasn't this like a airstrip or something? That yeah, it was something like, yeah, it was like something, something like that. that. It was, it was a big-ass field. Yeah. And Odyssey was kind enough to... No, they, sorry, Odyssey, there was nothing. Odyssey was kind enough to, you know, make an asphalt terrain for the street course, and then right. there was a dirt okay. course. All right. So there was I one remember. day where, and then Dave, Maddie, and all those dudes are doing the dirt, and we're doing the, the, the wood building part, right. the skate park part. Don't um, worry, the Nuno interview that I did back in December covers, like, all the details of that. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So he's, he, he explains it really well. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so go for it. They dropped a water tank for the trails down by us. I'm pretty new to driving machinery, uh-huh. but I'm in a big low lift, and a low is like a, it has forks on it, but yeah. it's a big boom lift, you know? Right. It's like a boom out, like whatever, 40, 50 it's usually feet. usually used for lumber or something yeah, yeah. like that to get stuff up high, the second floor exactly. or whatever. Yeah. So there's water tank filled with water, and I'm always eager to drive the machinery, so I'm like, yo, I'll go bring it up to the dudes at the jumps. So I'm in the low lift, and it's a plastic pallet on top of a, I don't know, whatever, how many gallons, 300 gallon tank or whatever it is. Uh-huh. And I pick it up a little bit. Which is heavy. Which is heavy, yeah, like on the forks. And I see water start to pour out. Picking this up, and I see water coming out. I'm like, oh, fuck, I think I, like, shanked the tank with the fork. So it's about head high. I get out to look at it, and I realize it's just water coming from the top. Oh, okay, overflowing. But I hear this crazy noise. Uh I look under the tank, and I pinch a fucking rattlesnake in between the forks and the pallet. Oh, God. So I'm like, hold... And And when I tell you it was, like... It, it couldn't move because I pinched it, but it was a couple of inches from my face. And I'm like, holy shit. So I yell at Ryan. I'm like, yo, Ryan. He's like, what do you want? And I was like, I was like, uh, 
what did I say? I was like, uh, I'm having a problem with the lift. I don't, I don't think I could do this. Like, is there a hose under here or something? Like, I think I did something fucked up. I was like, I was like, I, I was like, just totally act like I never used the machine before. I was like, I can't do it. I don't feel comfortable. I was like, can you come here and just look at this? Like, I think I pinched a hose or something. And he looks at it and he gets close like me and you hear the rattlesnake is hissing. There's venom pouring out of its mouth because it's pinched. It's not spinning like rattlesnakes don't spit, but it's leaking out of its mouth. And his rattle is fucking going nuts. Right, right, right. And I'm like, you know, so I get him to fucking put his face in and he fucking jumps back. <laughs> He's like, holy shit, you know, like, what the fuck? So then it's like, one by one, we're like, Parabola's working with us, dude, Jeremy. We're like, yo, Jeremy, come here, man. Like, yeah. like yo, well, like, come take a look at this. For some reason before that, though, somebody gave us a snake catch and we were laughing about it the whole time. We're like, I'm not going to fucking see a snake. Like, we're fine. Like, you know, right. whatever. That snake catcher came in handy because we had to kill the snake. So, right. you know, and then eventually we used the snake catcher and a sawzall, cut its head off. And then I had the snake on the low lift going up to the trails with the water tank on it. And the thing is moving for, you know, 20 minutes. It's headless. still headless, just moving. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, oh, get out of here. Snake's fucking up. Oh, man. It's a fucking I... rattlesnake. Like, I almost kissed it. Like, yeah. we all did. That's, that answers Ryan's question. He's another one of the best people. Absolutely. He does the bikes over Baghdad. He does all kinds of great stuff. Yeah. Just sounds like such an awesome dude. This guy Death Salt wants to know (laughs) uh, who's Death Salt? Uh, Jared Carter from Australia. He's a dude that's in Charles in Australia. um... So he wants to know why are you such an ABO? What's an ABO? We can cut this if you want or we can leave it. This could be cut because it's like. It's going to be cut? This could be cut because it's like slightly racist, but. Abo is like a slang for it's Aboriginal Australian, but it's also like just something everyone says there. Well, you know what? It's simple enough put that I think, in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, but in lieu of your recent experiences, it's probably not something you feel uh, the same about as you would have years ago. Definitely not. Because, you know, if we're talking native Aborigines from Australia, you've got a different opinion. Or, yeah, I mean, I have a different opinion you on different any person. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. Um, but Jared, we so, can not cut. We can cut that, but we can talk on Jared because um, he's an amazing person. Well, we can leave it as it is. I mean, we we covered it. But, yeah. But it's you know what? That's a coming of age. Everyone as they grow up totally. changes the things that they think and say over over the years that they mature. So totally. There's nothing. That's actually there's good. A, that's a good thing. I agree. Um, but anyway, if you want to say he's something, like one of my best friends, Mosh, Jared Carter. Yeah. One of the best bike riders from Australia. Another person I met in Oregon that then on the East Coast that I never went and visited because I'm a dick, but <laughs> his whole scene is amazing. Yeah. He's the saltiest motherfucker there is. <laughs> Hence the death salt. But he also has some of the most progressive trails in the world. So like In Australia. Yeah. yeah. He's like the man. Yeah. And um, we spent a lot of time together. Seen a lot of shit. Okay. He was in Austin and stayed with me in New York for a long time. And those Aussies and they the, travel, the, man. They get the around. England guys and it makes you feel Germans. like a dick for not going there. Yeah, they spend like what a, a month, month and a half, at least. They'll usually spend. three because you have a visa for three months. You work so hard, you're like not right. going to go for a couple weeks. It's so insane. It's Rusty like, Hessian, like it'll, it'll just yeah. come up. Well, I met all those dudes too. Again, though, another weird. Like I met those dudes through Jared Card. Like I met. Right. I mean, I knew of Russ for a long time. Like he was like the right. he was like the. He was like the dude that was riding posh brakeless before brakeless trail riding yeah. was a thing. I, and he was always like this thing where yeah. like, there's this dude from Australia yeah. that's riding posh 
brake less. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, yeah. he has to case this set to get over that set, not overshoot, and overshoot yeah. this set to not case that set. Like, I believe I watched him at Pop. Uh, I think sorry, he has brakes on his bike now, and he, he's such a phenomenal. Again, I, there, there were a couple guys riding brakeless and right caddy, and they were doing the hardest line there every. But he, I believe he was one of them. But he may have had brakes on. I don't totally. Know. Actually, the first time I had any vegan food, I think, was at his. It was like they always had a coming to America and leaving party, and oh. Jared and all like ten Aussies were staying with me in Long Island. Oh wow! And we went down to South Jersey to Asbury Park. I mean, I mean Asbury. It was somewhere around Asbury, where yeah. Garrett's from, where Stu right. JB's from, right. and this whole like they had this whole Australian uh, American connection. Yeah. And right. went down and was just like open rain, like barbecue, and everyone's yep. welcome, and just like you know right. formally met everyone, and and to the day like still like don't speak to these people as much as I should but when we see each other it's like all love and it's so great like it's like you never missed a so, beat yeah like um, a bunch of the South Jersey dudes came up for Garrett's like uh, documentary that Dig did Garrett, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Grady felt, like had a viewing on his roof in Manhattan so like Garrett did like a little speech and like it was, yeah, it was yeah, really yeah. really cool but um, um I, I got a copy of it and I watched it and I was just like Blown away, and I also watched it with the Hallahans. Really? And oh yeah, and they just did the, the trip with the Hallahans. Yes, and it was. Garrett's the best was, dude, man. All those dudes oh. from down there, all those, and literally yeah. everyone involved in this, everyone involved in my life mm-hmm. in this podcast. That you can, I mean, obviously, you are such good people, man. Like, right. And I'm just getting to know them through experiences like this. It's great, and and I forget too. I forget how many people I've met through. <laughs> And, and this is like over now so I started meeting people because of soups and that scene right, but right. after I moved to Oregon it was all just like that's the way the world kind of put me into yeah. people and the places yeah. I was in things I was involved this with whole web. you just start meeting people and I, yeah. and I didn't even realize it like I'll forget how right. many great amazing friends I have and how all over the world right right no definitely that is it for Oregon questions, so... Next chapter. <laughs> yeah, right. Next chapter, um, we'll do some funny ones in between. Here's one from the FIDS. <laughs> so, you know what this is. But it's, uh, what's it like to lose a high air contest no, I, every I, time I, you... Not... <laughs> <laughs> every time you go by a dude <laughs> twice your age, you still owe me a dinner and can I have my hat back? So I definitely I lost his hat. Yeah. So, on my trip from Oregon... To the East Coast on motorcycles, I met Leland Thurman through Chester Blacksmith for oh, the first wow. time. The, Leland and, is shitlock, right? Yes, Leland okay. is the coolest motherfucker ever. And, and somebody and I always and him and Fizz are like they're the like brothers, brothers that never existed. Yeah, through Leland and Fizz. Sorry, I have to date back one really quickly. I was in Oregon. The mm-hmm. first trip I took to Austin like getting paid for right. was through the take and it was for a toast mm-hmm. it was for a Texas toast contest that's when I met the Fids for the first time in Leland oh. and I just like hopped in their bus the whole time and we hung out Right. and I was like who the fuck are these guys right. they're my best friends Right. and I was like Fids at the time was probably 65 years old <laughs> who knows how old he is now he's bless ageless him. that dude is ageless bless him and, um, and that's like literally a lot of the things I say are because of him but he could be 70 by now I don't even know I don't know um, I met him at Swamp Fest and he was the coolest old dude old as fuck but he was cool. the coolest dude and, and that was before he broke his leg 
He's already uh, riding him. Fuck him. Don't make him. He's fine. He's fine. So I don't know. I met Leland in the Fizz and all these dudes. And I was like, who are these people? Like, they speak to each other. Like, how I grew up speaking to my friends. Like, they're ruthless. They're amazing. And, like, me and Fizz and Leland, like, we all this connection. And Fizz was always really competitive. And I just clicked with the Fizz. And we would just fuck with each other. He would give me so much shit. Yeah. And he would always be like, I'm 44. And I'm still doing this. I'm 40. Like... You're just a pup, like this the and English that. English accent. But bless him. Yeah. He is, I, I, I mean, he, other than, he won all the high contests. And he's old. Like Where? Uh, uh, T1. I think usually oh, T1. Oh, T1 ran. Yeah, I was in Austin at the oh, time. Oh, so you're talking vert, vert height. Yeah, like he was, T, not, yeah, we would like. Not hit, dirt we would, No, no, we would, we would session. It was either House Park or like, yeah. anywhere we go, it was a competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But always. Yeah. But man, I became. I feel like I rode. I know I might have said this before, but like I really felt like I was riding the best I ever did when I lived in Austin. Yeah. I was just yeah. like frothing, burning, right, to just like progress and be better. Right. And then people like him come along and just fight for like. But in all good fun, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't remember him giving me his hat. So I stole <laughs> his helmet from Leland. I still have it. I said I'd buy him a new one, but I probably oh. Oh, Fizz, Fizz, but Fizz nice. and Leland, man, and and that whole scene, like that was like a whole other scene of people I met. The maniac, yeah. like Sal yeah. from Posh, like they were all hanging right. out so much, and I didn't even right. know. Like all of these people were always going through Louisville, and 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 Leland and his whole crew, Bill uh, Violation, like all these dudes. Yeah. I mean, it's in Austin, Bob Serbo, like dude. There's just this plethora of people right. that I met late in life, right. but we we're immediately like, yeah, best friends. You know, that's awesome. It's fucking cool, man. It's so cool. But I, I also, like, I so I dished Austin, and I went back. I got over Austin, and I went back to New York. Yeah. And right. I just started, like, a whole different path. So you pretty much have three areas of the country that that, that made you the man that you are today. New Between, York, Long Island as a young teen. Yeah. Oregon, Oregon as a late teen, early 20s. Yeah. Austin in the middle of my 20s. And then... A and move, as a teenager. And right? as a teenager. Right. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And then uh, a move back to uh, New York right. at a time where, like, now you got to pay, like, big need, rent. Need you a need a little grounding. Real work. Right. You know, and I, and I right. come from a background of, like, real doing work. all... But, yeah, real work, but doing all sorts of crazy, like, different jobs. So Whatever like, it takes. Totally. So, um, yeah, man, I got, I got lucky, and I fell into being able to support myself here. Right. Which is not easy. We didn't get lucky. I mean, I wouldn't then say it. I, I, I was, I didn't get lucky. No, you can't just sit home no. and get lucky. No, I yeah, you know, I didn't win the lottery. It doesn't I my work like that. Off. That but, would be the yeah. You're right. That but would be Austin, the lottery. I hit a point in my life where Austin was. I really wanted to progress. Uh huh. And not bike riding anymore, but my life. Right. And um, right. you know, I meet all these great people. I have all these great connections. I'm also like a closet hermit that likes to just like buckle down and do his own thing. So I come back to New York and I just start hustling, man. I start working right. these like crazy like event production jobs where I'm making great money, but it's like cutthroat and hard work and like random work and hard hours. And Brian owns a installation, a graphic installation company, doing like big vinyl, like mural vinyl installation and stuff. He actually employed me a lot too for the past you know two years, which was amazing. Which was a good filler. It was a great filler because um, my event production world and uh and events are very uh like bi-yearly it's like the right now and uh the late late spring is busy and fall is busy but summer and winter are super dead 
And I mean, mind you, at the time, like I'm, I'm trying to make a career as an artist, and not yeah. like, right. you know, a fine artist, but like hustling, building a brand, like a, right. like a, you know, like grassroots, like trying to sure. do it. And yeah. I moved back to New York, coming off a lot of art in Austin, just doing like a solo show in Austin, getting a lot of great feedback. Right. Not necessarily making a living, but there were these points where I went hard at something, put right. it on the back burner, go hard at something, put it on the back burner, much like BMX. Yeah. Very dedicated, like I'm all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Dedicated 110 or it's going to be behind for a little bit. Right. Um, so I move out of Austin and I'm like, I, I want to make a career like in art and doing something creative. And I don't want to work right. at, in an office building and I don't right. want to work for people I don't believe in and for companies I don't believe in. You know, I'm very mm -hmm. like very grassroots BMX -y. like fuck right. the fuck the man it sounds like you don't out. it sounds like you have a lot of confidence in the in in making it like you don't worry about whether it's going to work or not you just know that it's going to work you I just, that's where I say I get lucky I think maybe deep rooted I do think that but like mm -hmm. at face value I'm always nervous I'm like fuck like, but that's okay that's a good nervous totally if it's you weren't then you'd be lazy totally <laughs> I wish I was trying to explain to someone the other day, listen, like, we come from, like, a pretty normal background. Like, none of my friends are struggling. I mean, listen, I grew up around some people who are poor and we took them in. And I had some times in high school where I couldn't be home either. Like, there was shit happening. I didn't live at home for my whole senior year, really. Like, mm -hmm. you know, my family's going through stuff. And not financially, but just, like, things. Right, I was right. like, I don't need to be around. And whether sure. it's, you know, how it goes. It's like Stressful stuff. Yeah, yeah, just like, and I had a group of friends that had outlets and, you know all these things and um, the point is that um, I come from a background that's pretty privileged by mm -hmm. most standards by most American standards by most mm -hmm. worldly standards most definitely I was able to afford a bicycle I was right. able to get my parents to pay for me to go to a trip like if it wasn't for them um, you know I would never have had the opportunities I've had so my story you know doesn't come from a story of struggle it just comes from a story of kind of like why like just in the right place the right times like together I understand the, the maybe part of luck's love, a bad word for it no because listen we're born into situations that you can consider luck totally. I was born into a very rural atmosphere but within that there's challenges so totally so yes I was born into an area that I wasn't born in Kenya that's where the yeah, difference yeah. is between luck no and, definitely just yeah. what it is so so yeah, I was born in a rural area in Connecticut where, yeah, we were on the poorer side of things, but I still lived in a town of sixteen hundred people, yeah, totally. and and I had water, I had water, yeah, I had clean water, I had a house with sixteen acres behind it. Was it a little bit of a shell? Yeah, you know. <laughs> and was my dad raising us alone because my mom wasn't there? Yes. Yeah. You know, but I was still. Head and shoulders above, yeah, most, a, a third world country, yeah, yeah. or yeah, which is most of the world, whatever you know? it is. So that's the luck you and I yeah, are talking I, about. Yeah, let me rephrase everything I say. I think I have um, my goal in life is to do what I want to fucking do. What to make that happen? You have to do a lot of things you don't want to do. That's the part of life. Is life? Anything could happen between now and the next day and change my whole path. What I've always said to myself is like, I'm gonna figure out a way to make what I wanna do happen, no matter and, and uh, no matter what it is. Right. And luckily, what I've always wanted to do is positive. BMX, uh, 
art, being creative, mm-hmm. uh, being around people. And for anyone else, you could go a different path. But I, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm an addict at, at, by nature and by heart. And my addiction, although it's been bad things at times, that say I.e. smoking cigarettes or maybe right. you know drinking too much, which never I never really would consider a full blown addiction. I say like smoking. These are things that um, I'm lucky enough. My I've transpired my my poor addictions into positivity. So. BMX, uh, taking right. care of myself, give a shit about my future, and I give a shit about my health, and I, and sure. I give a shit about a lot of things. And it, but it comes from a, an addictive background, and my first true addiction and my first love was BMX. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess I want to. You, fortunately, have exactly have I'm, a balance okay. in your mind. I'm fortunate so enough to didn't... have positive outlets to, yeah. to, and that's where that fortunate right. side comes from. Right. I'm grateful every day for where I come from mm-hmm. and what I was able to have and what I have now. Um, and that's what, I guess, we're jumping a little bit, but this is what transpires into where I'm at now in my life. And it's mm-hmm. because of this last trip I took, which uh, in November, I got out of, again, another relationship I'm out of. Another relationship that kept me in New York, but mm-hmm. for good reasons. I learned a ton. I was with a really uh, successful a uh, woman that worked her ass off to mm-hmm. build a brand and I was every day inspired to do the same. I'm hustling my art, I'm hustling who I am, making a living, trying to figure out, you know, at a late stage in life. I'm like 27, 6, 7 at the time. Most people already have their career set and I'm just figuring out where the fuck I am at life. Yeah. Um, in New York at least. I don't know. I like for, you know, like, not obviously not everywhere. But, um, right. So I get out of a relationship and I'm just chilling all summer. I, I started surfing again, which I learned when I was younger, but like really fell in love with it. I'm hanging out with my best friend, Russ, Barone. We're riding a ton. I'm just free. I got a, bought a van. I'm just chilling, living in a van. I'm kind of homeless, but not really. Obviously, I have a good family. I have an apartment that my mom lives in right by the water. And then, uh, so I'd spend time with her. I'd spend time with Russ in my van. Uh, on Long Island on Long Island and in the city so I'm still like in the city I'm still in Brooklyn I'm still in Manhattan I start talking to this girl so everyone asks where how I went to Africa in the first place right my mom and my sister were friends with this girl that they met and they were like y'all would be perfect together blah 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 and I was like listen I'm in no position I just got a relationship I'm really enjoying myself and where I'm at Mm-hmm. But I entertained it. So, like, she, we started talking to each other right. over the phone. Right. Just chatting. And at the time, she was in South Africa volunteering with baboons. Cause she was already there. She's a veterinary technician at a big hospital in, in Midtown Manhattan. She was already there on a, on a three-month stay. Oh, okay. And the last month of her stay was going to be kind of traveling and having fun. Yeah, so, we were right, talking... Right. She was like, you know, I'm doing this and that, and sending me photos. Like, they were on a national park, sending me photos of all these crazy animals, baboons and giraffes and lions and shit. I'm like, right. what the fuck? And I'm sitting coming off of six months of work, like hard work, like right. the hardest I ever worked, so focused. I've, I have more money than I've ever saved in my life, which is like most people's red zone. But for me, I'm like, damn, you know, I have that in my bank account. Like, I can, I'm like right. vagabond still where I'm like, right. you know, that for me is like a go to go somewhere. That's the ticket. Right, right. So. As soon as you clear a thousand bucks, you're rich. Yeah, hell yeah. I was like, damn, let alone, like once you get over five, I was like, damn, I got 10, 10. Like, I was yeah. fuck investing anything. I was like, I'm right. out, you know? I mean, at the time I made some investments that were based on my income. Like I bought, I got into a bigger workspace where I'm paying more money a month. I'm paying rent. 
uh, for Actually, a studio. Yeah, for a studio, it was yeah. really just a big ass garage with a huge, like a shop, like with a car lift, an attached garage, an attached workspace for like studio work. And then my whole goal was like I was doing a lot of lettering and, and painting at the time. I was like, I want to pull cars in here and pinstripe and letter the cars. This is in Brooklyn. No, this is in Long Island. So I was reverse oh, okay. commuting. This is right by where where the where the trails are. Oh. I was at Soup's studio so for a little bit in yeah. Seaclub, right. but I had this, but I broke off and I was like, you know, I can afford double this and double my space. Right, right, right. And John obviously was cool enough. I mean, obviously he didn't yeah, care. Yeah. He's like, good for you. Like, I'm proud of you, whatever. Right. Um, so I do that. And then, you know, a bunch of work comes in November. I'm slammed. Just like hustling. like First store work. For, yeah. Just for, like I'm doing everything from commercial artwork to lettering to signage for people. Like, your all lettering this. is crazy. I I've watched so much of it. Again, you're, it's something I didn't know like existed or... It, to have free... I call it freehand. I mean, yeah. It is. It's, it's essentially freehand, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no... I'm not painting with... I mean, I'll have like an outline. Right. But not like a thing where like you could just paint sloppily. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like... Like this entire place that we're at. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's like... At Mad Tropical. You know, this is your lines to paint within. Right. And you would draw that on... So you, you, you have know. a set. You have a set space. It's like a, basically a template, yeah. essentially. But like, yeah. if I paint like all over the place, I'm going to paint all over the place. Like these, mm-hmm. this is line work. It's it's right. a craft. It's, you're painting right. in the lines. You you know how to use sure. a brush. Every brush is different. Everything is different, and they're all specific right. to certain letters and all that. Mm-hmm. So I was getting into that. I was doing that a lot, and I was making money doing it. And I was finally like figuring out the the formula to being a business owner, kind of right. supporting yourself and supporting your own business and valuing your work. I'm talking to this girl, and I'm like. I'm a loose person like I'm just like fuck it like I just worked you know I worked a year really hard to build a business and I was just like I don't care like fuck it I bought a plane ticket to South Africa yeah I was in South Africa so I buy a plane ticket to go meet to go meet this girl and her friend and travel for a month oh wait a minute so this whole this whole African trip stemmed off of meeting this girl that was already there that I never met before that that I never never met my mom knew her my sister knew her Okay. But we chatted, and I was like, I mean, what's the worst happens? Like, we right. travel a country I've never, a country, right. I mean, many countries, and right. I, you know, part of a continent I've never been to, and it's right. not like I'm going to, like, Spain or, you know, uh, England. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to go to East Africa, right. and I'm going to go, and again, I flew into South Africa, I flew into the, into the northernmost part of South Africa, Johannesburg, not the northernmost part, but right, the very right, north, right. big city Johannesburg, I was there for I 12 hours, and I fly into a country called Mozambique. And it's like, ooh, Mozambique is like, rough stuff. I get out of the airport and you're in, I have some shit out of a movie. Everyone speak that that country. Everyone speaks Portuguese. Really? Everyone speaks Portuguese. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I have no clue. I'm there alone. Damn, where's Remo? Dude, I don't. I'm like, <laughs> I'm shot. Like, I don't know. I'm driving. And my my mind's fucking blown. I'm just yeah. like, right. what the fuck? Where am I? Like, this is amazing. But I just like I was like, all right, this is how it's gonna go. Like, I know somebody asked a question about how I went to Africa. Essentially, it was just a, a, another person, a girl. With, I mean, there was prospects. Obviously, like, you know, I wouldn't say we we're in a relationship, but there was definitely like, sure. we were chatting, and I wanted to do something different. And I and I and it was it, it, the beginning of the trip started selfishly. Uh-huh. I wanted to go travel and spend my money I worked hard on, you know, for and deserve, right. and see a part of the world that people told me I shouldn't go to because of this, that, and the other thing, and blah, 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 and all this crap. Yeah. I wanted to go in there, and it's the most beautiful place in the fucking world. Right. So, 
We travel all around East Africa. We do uh, Mozambique, which is on the coast. We then go north to Tanzania. We go to Zanzibar, which is an island off Tanzania, for 10 days. This is all in the first month. This is all in the first month. And then our last stop is five days in Kenya. And the last stop of five days in Kenya was uh, to go to, essentially, it's an orphanage. But I mean, I feel like there's a weird connotation with that because Americans and people from this area think of it as like some like a movie thing where like, you know, there's like an angry lady and then these yeah, kids right, and shit. Right. So it's like basically <laughs> the person I went to go meet, the girl I went to go meet, her friend had a connection in Kenya with this kid that she went to college with mm-hmm. that started an organization there to pull kids off the street. Mm-hmm. and. This is, I, at first I was like, oh, this is probably some do-gooder kind of weird person. And then the more I heard about him, the more I was like, oh, like, no, he's just like, he sounds pretty cool. I was a little bit reserved, to be honest. And, I, and I, I hope he listens to this because I don't think I've ever told him out. My initial, like, you know, the buildup of this, I was just like, I couldn't imagine who would do this, you know? Like, right. I, the only people I can think of this are people that, like, are super Jesus freaks or very involved in a church or this uh, and that. And the other thing are on a mission. Like, like it's a mission trip. Right? Yeah. And obviously I have nothing against that. I have nothing against religion. Sure. I just didn't know what to expect. So right. the beginning, I wasn't even going to go on this part of the trip because I felt that it was her thing and I want, I didn't want to interrupt. Right. Somewhere down the line, she agrees it would be good if I went. I meet the kid and I'm immediately blown away. I'm like, this fucking kid, he's a 27-year-old kid from Connecticut. What? From Connecticut. He's from... Uh, I forgot the name of the town he's from. A normal I kid. He's from Connecticut. I've he, uh, seen pictures of him. Yeah. So, and I want to double back because I've been talking about street kids. So let me explain to everyone what the street kid thing is. Is in most places in the world, not just East Africa, not West Africa, not any just Africa as a continent. A lot of places in the world, poverty is not the poverty you're used to. It's not like project buildings and maybe a bombed out house. It's no shoes, no clothes, no food dying right dehydrated to the point of sickness right hiv aids among other diseases that are very preventable and curable um real fucking poverty like shit you really kids really hang out garbage piles people really living on garbage piles and um true third world country exactly i hate to kenya is the most beautiful country i've ever been to in my life Uh and it's also very progressive and there's very amazing wealth and progressive things going on and where I like to make sure people know is like it's not like this bombed out war zone but the poverty that does exist there is very different than the poverty that exists in most first world countries because there aren't the same institutions that exist there isn't welfare there isn't uh, food programs and feeding programs there's literally only outside help that people come in and like we should help so my friend went on a trip that uh, has a nonprofit out there that helps street kids he focused on kids under 10 years old and they're addicted to huffing glue. Like that's their addiction. That's their, their escape from reality. They put glue in a plastic bottle and they sit there with it on their mouth like this and huff all day. All day. Oh my God. And these kids are like fucking zombies. They're walking around and they're literally like anywhere from five, anywhere from newborn. I mean, there'll be newborns at some place, but like not doing huffing glue. Right, right, but right. once they're old enough to know about it, like, I mean, these kids, a lot of them have lived and seen shit. Their parents get murdered. People get, you know, get sick and die in front of them. Abandonment, like, no money, literally no money. 
Um, and this kid went on a trip to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, did some outreach work, and he was in school at the time. He was like, this is my calling. I'm coming back here in one year, and I'm going to fucking help some kids out. This is the guy from Connecticut. This is the kid from Connecticut. So he's yeah. lived there for four and a half years. Four straight? and a half years straight. He, he travels a little bit back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Spends about eight months out of the year there. Fluent Swahili speaker. Um, Gosh. Very, very, very like involved in in the culture, and he's not trying to push his values on anyone. His goal is to just get kids off the street, right, into school and get them fed. It's like the most simple program, and it's not a big scale program. He pays himself a hundred and fifty dollars a month, right? Not forty thousand, not fifty thousand, a hundred and fifty U.S. dollars a month to be the founder and head of this of this organization. So he literally sacrificed, you know, his 20s to do something that not only does he believe in and love to do, and he's wildly successful, to be involved. And I never saw that. I come from a BMX background where everyone's kind of, like, there's a community, but at the end of the day, everyone's like, it's very self-motivated, it's very about self, it's very about um, pushing yourself. Right. Whether you get into teaching and doing other things, a different story, but the root cause of it is very selfish. I mean, selfish, you know? Right. Not right. in a bad negative sense, but right. you're, you're focusing on yourself. Right. So, this was the first time I ever saw selflessness, true right. selflessness. Right. And I was supposed to be in Kenya for five days, and everyone was leaving, yeah. and I sat down with him, and, and usually, if you volunteer, you have to pay, you have to pay volunteer fees. Right. I know not a lot of BMXers are used to like, paying for anything. for anything or don't want to pay for things but in, <laughs> in the world of giving back in the world in the world of giving back like for a small fee like a right. couple hundred bucks a week which is right. your, you get fed three meals a day you get right. shelter water right. whatever you need right. um, but at the time I was like man I don't have that right. and I was like you know Brian I really want to stay and I want to be involved and however I can you know I, I have my bike I brought my bike with me so he was like sat down and like kind of snickered in a positive way and was like yeah. he's like dude stay as long as you want he's like I would love to have someone around. so that's what turned it into from one month to three months or was it three it was three months was and three the months. only reason I left was because I ran out of money because right, I was paying right. for bills here that I right. wasn't making any money right, if right. I could stay there if if I had the means to be there I wouldn't be sitting here right now I'd still be there right I fell in love man I, I, I truly right. did I saw I saw what it means to be present in people's lives that don't have that driving force or, not, I mean, I saw what it meant to be uh, an influence on people, you know, and just being present, how much, how, how that little bit, just being present could mean so much. Like, I wasn't, I'm not a very eclectic human as far as like, a, like I'm not like in your face, like we're gonna learn today, you know, we're gonna, I'm gonna go and teach you and I'm gonna teach you. I'm nervous about that. I was, I was very nervous going into that. I was like, I don't know how to really yeah. deal with children. Those kids taught me more than I taught them, but just right. being present right. was something to me where I was like, now I don't want to leave at all because right. I'm family. Right. You know, it, it kills me to think about leaving. Yeah. Um, so in my time there, I it's, it's, it is hard to explain because you really have to go, but I mean, I learned I learned the language. I started speaking a lot of Swahili. I, I, I've studied every single day, all day. When the kids were in school, I was oh, really? studying the language. Oh we gosh. speak the language. You know, like, um, obviously I forgot a ton being back, but um, I really went out of my way to to uh, assimilate, to be part of the culture, you right. know? And where right. we were in Kenya, 
We were about eight hours from Nairobi, which is a big city, which right. was far from... How like, many hours? Eight hours west. Eight? Yeah, west, on a bus. So, oh my gosh. Um, in a okay. little town, very rural, yeah. um, in, a, in a county called Magori County, where we were, you know, we're the only white people for probably like a hundred mile radius. Right. And everyone around there knows Brian because he's been there for two and a half years. Yeah. Uh, in that one space for two and a half years. But like you're an outsider. But the, the beauty of it is you start to forget all um, all the, the things that you learn in your life. Like race disappears when you're the only one. You don't look at people as black people. Right. Everybody's black. Right. You're right. the only, you forget like where you are. You know, right. there isn't, there are no light black people there are no Hispanic people there's Kenyans or whatever and even more so you want to go deeper there's the tribe we are there's Luo that right. tribe where we're around there's Maasai there's all these different tribes Kenya's very tribal right. so and everyone associates with their tribe but you're you you stand out right you know like right. you even in America you're used to seeing uh even if you come from a very diverse background, even if you grow up in an area where it's predominantly black, predominantly Spanish, there's still always a mix. Sure. There's always somebody that you can relate to uh, as far as like your skin tone, your religion, your background, yeah. this, that, and the other thing. There, well, you're in the middle of basically the nowhere. Middle of East Africa. And more it's, so in the middle of nowhere in the middle yeah. of East Africa, not near, you know, three hours from the big city, eight hours from a really big city. Um, there's something so fucking magical about all that shit being thrown in the garbage. It's almost ignorance. like you're touching on a on a society that is just so pure to their ancestry that it's that it just hasn't been touched. It hasn't it's, been it hasn't, intermingled. You know what I mean? It's not a melting pot in any way. It's pure. There's the internet. Kids have phones. They have access to the outside world. But like, right. they're even a, a wealthier person there still doesn't necessarily have the means to travel outside the country. Like, just even buy a plane ticket to get into Kenya, you're already up on a, pegged up on a notch where, like, you have wealth. Just in their, to get In the Kenyan's eyes, yeah. Right, right. And so met, they already pick up on that, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Like, if you, there's definitely a stigma with any white white uh, person in Swahili, white man or woman is Mzungu. So, like, oh, yeah. that's, like, how you, like, everyone would just say, Mzungu, Mzungu, like, and it's not, like, a bad thing. It's just, like, listen, we're humans. We have eyes. Like, right. I'm black, you're white, you call me white man, I could call you black man. There's no, like, weird, right, like, right. thing. It's not, like, a race right. thing. It's very, un, un, it's just separated from everything, which is why it's so beautiful. One big part of the beauty of it was bringing my BMX bike. And I was just going to ask you, <laughs> what made you bring your BMX bike? So, when I found out I was going to go to this thing, I was like, I want to go give these kids my bike. Like, that was, like, my my thing. You know, I was like, that was going to be my gift to them. Like, I don't have a lot of clothes. I'm not very materialistic. Like, I don't have much to offer them. I could do right. some art classes, which we wound up doing, which was amazing. And, you know, I could give the money I don't have to them, which is amazing. Right. Uh, and I did have a little money, and I did everything I could, you know. Right. Um, but I was like, the biggest thing, and what is the reason we're sitting here right now, yes. uh, is my bike. It's why I'm here. It's why I met this person that got me here. It's why I now know Brian, uh, who owns Arrive in Kenya, which is the organization I was at. It's why I'm in front of 42 kids that come from the most horrific fucking backgrounds in the world, but only smile every day. And that fucking bike made these kids like, dude, I put my bike together, and I have footage. I have so much footage of this. 
my, me putting my bike together and Jaws on the floor. Right. Like fucking blown away. Had no clue what I was doing. There were right. bikes there, but like they didn't. And the kids like were, could work on the bikes. There had to be like a, a, a wiffle ball bat and a <laughs> wiffle ball times a thousand. Dude, no, no You know what I mean? And like, I love. It's the very basic <laughs> versus the holy crap, this yeah. is technology. This is like, you know. So I, I can do, I can move <laughs> with this. I looked for kids on bikes. I think I've seen a kid on a BMX bike in maybe Mozambique. If I stand corrected, maybe. But then you're in the city. You're, yeah, you're I was in a big in city it. in a country that's much closer to South Africa, which is yeah. much closer to a bit more wealth, uh, even though it's obviously a very poor country. Um, there's right. also a lot of wealth, and there's also access to things. It's a coastal country. Kenya, also a coastal country, but I looked everywhere, and I just didn't see it. And then when you think about it, and... The average a person makes in Kenya yearly is like sixteen hundred U.S. dollars. So how for much a year. is it being, for a year? For a year. So yeah. that's hard because it's a huge yeah. rural population, and yeah, in the city yeah. you're obviously making more. But it's a BMX bike is expensive. Even yeah, now, a complete yeah. bike at three hundred dollars is that could be half someone's yearly salary. Well, if you're talking sixteen hundred bucks a year, yeah, that's, that's that, a good. You that's know what I'm saying? Chunk. So yeah. like for that reason, like those, like there are so many nonprofits and great organizations that bring bikes and, and all sorts of other great things to all over the world. Uh, you know, but bicycles are always huge because there are more to transportation and there are sure. bicycles out there. There's cargo bikes and people riding bikes. Right. That's how people get around. Right. Uh, if it's not motorcycles, not if it's recreational not recreational bikes. Exactly. So that didn't exist. And I remember putting my bike together and I didn't see my bike for a week. <laughs> and I didn't give a shit. You know, like the five days I was there, I was just like, oh, the kids have it. That's cool. Because they're all playing I couldn't with it. Te- like, well, you're in a village, right? I'm in so a, vi- a it's, small it's village. It's not going to leave the village. It, no, and like if it got like the way they deal with th- thieves there is like, right. you know, you don't want to steal when you're right. in a country like that. Right. Like you'll get dealt with. Yeah, yeah. In a manner where, you know, right. you'll walk around and see people with missing fingers and you're like, really? I wonder what that guy did. And you're like, hey, he's definitely not a deformity. You know, like who knows? He could have done something. There was a time where I watched one of the kids. One of the kids stole a bike and ran away with it and sold it, and they caught him, and they beat the shit out of him, like public shaming. Beat the shit out of him, like to the point where I was like, dude, I can't even watch this. Right. Right. But you know what? Like, it's not like they killed the kid. Right. But like that, that kid ain't gonna steal again. Right. And I, I know he won't because I saw it in his eyes. You know, you see like. It's a it's it's a it's a way of life that like here because everything's so coated with bullshit. I was gonna say you know, juxtapose that situation to, to now if you touch your kid to for doing any, something. Yep. Whether the teacher touches the kid, the teacher, the parents, They're the, the coach. Cane. They cane kids still. You get cane if you fuck yeah. up. You get hit with hit with a stick like right. over your ass. Right. Like, as a te- and like listen, a lot of people don't agree with that. A lot of people do agree with it. Right. And as a Western person coming into a country, you look at it for face value. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, I'm a vegan, you know, mm-hmm. and I and I go out of my way to, I try not to put a label on it, but I go out of my way to not partake in, in certain things and institutions in America. Right. While I was there, I, I slaughtered a goat. Right. I mean, I took a machete and I cut a goat's head off. Yeah, it had to be So tough. 50 kids could eat, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, but right. But like the thing is, so the, balance po- it. the point of it is you put yourself aside for the bigger picture of things mm-hmm. like... There's not like a, a crazy meat industry that's ruining the world. It's a goat that's going to feed 50 right. kids. Sure. And I watch every part of that goat get used. And like, you know, I wouldn't take that back ever. You right. know, a day, not a minute in my life. But 
so this whole point, the whole point of this conversation, the whole point of this transition into my life leading into Kenya and being mm-hmm. part of this culture was I realized what being, what giving to people means and what, and how I spent 29 years not giving a shit about much except myself. Right. And, you know, like obviously people get hurt and we'll all donate, we'll do our thing as, sure. as a, as community to help people no matter what it is family friends um and i consider that being selfless but there's always kind of you're always still worrying about how you're gonna get to work how you're gonna make a living how you're gonna support your family as you should i took three months and that didn't exist you know i spent three months only worrying about where i was and being fully present in the moment and uh and it was something that was so amazing and Mm -hmm. so inspirational and then mixing the BMX bike with it, and uh, and seeing how much kids would come out to me like, I want to learn this. I show them videos of, like the trails and show them videos of, of not obviously not only myself but like everyone shows stuff on my Instagram, and they were fucking blown away. Like they never seen it, they right. never seen it. And then right. the kids would come up and be like, Watch, watch! I learned this. I learned this. Right. And and they were wanting to learn, and it was so hard because I was like, I only brought one bike and. Right, and I don't even know how to teach this because it's like it's beyond me how excited they are to learn. So I do like little demos here and there, where like I would just do like a like a one eighty dude in but sandals, like. But you're dealing with it in like the simplest dude, form. They never like dude, three hundred kids because the school my some of the school my friend partnered with uh-huh. is also a private school that kids come from all over to go to. It's oh, not just okay. his his uh, organization okay. so there's 400 kids at that school every day <laughs> so like there would be like yeah like I think it's like three three or four hundred kids that come from all around to go to this one private school so you basically have one bike with 400 and kids. every kid wants to ride it every fucking kid wants to ride it oh, right man. and I like do like a 180 here and there because it was almost like overwhelming where I was like I don't know like I don't want to like like I don't know how to even go about this you know like it was right. so so much um, right but uh, so what happens if you equip the kids with so say a quarter of them want to ride because not everyone's going to want the totally. same thing so say a quarter of them want to ride do you see it changing I guess the, the, the basic origin of their tribe do, do you see it I think okay. modernizing yeah. you know, right. I, I can't find the right words so, I apologize no it's fine so um so where, where we were, and I'm just going to preface this a little bit. So um, yeah. a lot of East Africa, every, every, every part of Africa, every part of the world is tribes, right? We're all tribes, whether we just sure. don't realize it because it got kind of whitewashed uh, in America by Europeans coming in, Native Americans got pushed away. And then right. there's like, you lose your, 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 your tribalism as you, you know, whatever. Right. Um, a lot of Africa had a lot of problems East Africa had issues because of conflicting tribes. There's right. a lot of tribalism. Uh-huh. So a lot of countries kind of did away with tribalism and said, if we want to be one, right. and which in Swahili is Pamoja, like if you want to yeah. be one person, one group, you have to kind of put away the things that you believe in and look at the bigger picture. Right. So this happened in Tanzania, and this happened in... Uh, and it's not trying to stifle 
where you come from. It's just like you have to look at it. You have to kind of put your issues aside and, and want to succeed as a country uh, instead of many parts of this country, you know. Right. Uh, in Rwanda in the late nine, early 90s, there was a major, major genocide oh, where yeah. a million people were killed in three months. And if right. anyone does the math, it's an absurd, absurd amount of killing. Right. And that was directly because of conflicting tribes. Mm -hmm. There was other outside entities that kind of pushed these ideals on people, right. uh, European people. But um, the, the problem was it was that because there was that tribalism, that escalated the situation. So uh, the president now that's been a president for 20 years, who's technically a dictator, was right. basically like, no more tribes. Whether it's a good way to do it or not, I don't know. But he's like, we don't do this shit anymore. Right. We're Rwandan. This is who we are as a country. If we want to succeed, we have to put this behind ourselves and we have to look at each other like human beings and not a tribe. Um, in Kenya, they're still very tribal. There's 42 tribes in Kenya, 42 different languages. Wow. Most people speak Swahili and English. Everybody speaks a tribal language. Everybody, everyone. Swahili and English? And English. And everyone learns first your native tongue, tribal language or right. native tongue. Right. So the kids we're around speak some speak three languages, some uh -huh. speak four, some speak five. It's it's absolutely insane to yeah. see, see how much you know. It's so in, it's so wild because you come from a place where that doesn't exist. Right. To see kids at a young age be so intelligent and so able-bodied to learn right. all this stuff is so insane. Right. The the point is, um, so the reason I bring up the tribe thing is because um, there are a lot of tribes that obviously started. Uh, progressing away from their roots and their culture, but everyone still associates with it. Your question was, do I think BMX would push them, pull them, push them away from their roots? And I don't think that at all. I think exactly. the reason it's so, such an amazing thing is because it's so unrelated to your religion, your race, your tribe. It's literally just an outlet, just like soccer. So soccer is huge there. I mean, football, you know, European right. football, soccer, uh, rugby, like sports are huge because sports take you outside of your race, religion, and background, and it puts you into a worldly culture where you play soccer, I play soccer. You like this soccer team, I like this soccer team. We're friends now. So same with BMX. Like BMX is one of these kids puts a picture of them on a BMX bike up on the internet, and now right. we have the internet. Right. They're immediately, immediately family with hundreds of thousands of people yeah, yeah. around the world. Right. You know, that know what that is, whether they ride or not. Right. I mean, it could be millions at that rate, but sure. like at least, you know, thousands of people. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't exist there. So I left my bike there. Um, before I left my bike there, I was like, I, I want to figure out a way to fucking live here for however long I want to, whether it's six months, whether it's a year, whether it's bi-yearly, how the hell can I do this? And it wasn't working for my friend's nonprofit because he has this whole thing set up. Right. So I talked to him and I was like, I want to start something. I don't want to tread on your, you know, tread on your thing. I don't want right. to piggyback. And I want your like, your blessing and I want your opinion on it. We thought about everything. We thought about an art program. We thought about, uh, you know, amenities, like trash cleanup, environmental uh, based things. And then I was like, listen, I always wanted to do something with bikes too and kind of mix that in with everything I know. And he's like, dude, yeah. bikes. He's like, right. fucking bikes. Like, let's do something. He's like, I right. want to be involved. He's like, I want to be on your board. I want to do this. I want to, like, anything, any information you need, any help you need. So I put up a photo on Instagram of this kid, Evans, riding a bike and doing, doing a wheelie. wheelie. Yeah, that's and a great I picture. I like a blind 
from statement. I was like, yo, let's build something for these kids. Like, let's make a pump track. Like, let's do this. Yeah, let's yeah, do yeah. that. Right. And um, I, I had a ton of feedback. The whole time I had a ton of feedback, which yeah. blew my mind. Because most of the times, you know, I put a picture saying I work my heart out on art base and, you know, a couple people will be engaged, which I don't, I don't need justification from the internet. But like, sure. to go from, you know, people being very heavily involved in my BMX side of life and always right. being interested for me to start putting up something that's so different right. and have, starting like almost not like a, a you know a vlog or like a diary but it was essentially like a vlog or my trip diary where I was like inspired right. and I was like putting up stuff and I was getting these amazing responses from people where like dude I've been following your trip and I'm like like I'm in tears like I'm putting people in tears I'm reconnecting with people you yeah. haven't spoke to in 10 years uh, family friends uh, all walks of life and you know, it's like, it's super emotional. Right. And it all stemmed around BMX, mm-hmm. you know? And it all like, uh, and then the more I sat there and thought about it, I was like, damn, this is all because of my path in life, which is stemmed from riding bikes. Right. This right. is crazy. Yeah. Even if I wasn't, I didn't go there to ride a bike. There's right. nothing to fucking ride. Right. But the, I'm literally here, when you really put it into this perspective, like I'm only here because of my path, and my path was because of bikes. Right. So now, you know, I was like, so I put up that post and I got a lot of feedback and I, and I have all these people like really interested in whatever they can do. And I had people DMing me, all sorts of people. Uh, this dude, Ross Tanner from the UK was like, dude, I have a frame. Like, what do you need? I'll ship it to you. And I was like, right. I was like, damn, you know, all these people, I got parts here. I got parts there. I have right. people messaging me. Um, and I was so blown away by the response, but I was like, yo guys, like I want to think about this more. You know, I want to do something. Right. And uh, and just hold off, like just keep keep me on your radar. Like we're gonna right. do something, but just like right. I want to make this impactful and I want to make it work. So obviously I'm sitting for months drafting a nonprofit plan because I have time. Right. We're working on Africa time, which is a real thing. Right. And right. It's right. a lot slower than here. There's no pressure. There's no rush. Right. And I have the best resources in the world. I have a dude that just you know from the ground up built an amazing successful nonprofit that right. really changes the world. And uh, I have him, and I have family members, and I have all these people, and I have uh, and I have a computer, you know, and I, or a lap, or a little iPad, and I'm just writing, you know, I'm writing a business plan, basically. What do I want to do? What are my missions? How do I want to do this? Right. So in the between that, you know, I get a, a a message from Garrett Burns, and he took a trip in 2002 to Johannesburg, like we were talking, and saw some things that changed his perspective on right. on life. And I talked to Garrett for two and a half hours last night, and I consider him very well traveled. And he would come to me and he's like, dude, you probably spent more time in third world countries than I have collectively traveling my whole life. I just did more different travels, you know? And, and it was crazy to think about that because I, I didn't think like that at all. So it's perfect um, because we both have this similar vision where it's like, mm-hmm. there's a need for everything where we are right now. There's a need for people in America that need clean drinking water, education, healthcare, uh, and a creative outlet, a physical outlet, but the difference is that we have a government and a, and communities that uh, are able to put back. And in places where that doesn't exist, you see, you see how much a little bit can go a long way. I.e., a BMX bike. So I could give two kids right now a BMX bike, a kid in America, and a kid there, and because they don't know what a BMX bike is. It's only like it's so pure. The difference is jaw dropping. You like, know, 
It almost seems like you're saying pound for pound, you can make a far larger impact in Kenya than you could in, say, Hartford, Connecticut. If you I, know what I, I mean? mean, I could give someone a hundred dollars here and a hundred dollars there, and that's one tenth of their that, that, yearly wage. And, and that's what I'm getting. You know, at. yeah. And that's what I'm getting. At. And you're and you're changing my mind a little bit because when we first talked about it months ago, or whatever it was, when you came back, it was months. Yeah, it was and, months. I remember emailing you and explaining yeah, to you kind of my vision and yeah. And of course, I had I had my concerns, which was, you know, there's so much need here. Totally. That's tangible. Totally. That I could see where. Totally. Where my money would go, I could see it yeah. in action. But what you're telling me is kind of swaying me a little bit because I'm thinking, okay, my <laughs> let's base it on a hundred dollars. Let's base it on a on a set of wheels. Yeah. Or or just cash. Yeah. Whatever it is. Well, yeah, we could do my. The, the the effect, you know, it is so much greater with so much less. Yeah. Than it would be in Philadelphia. Totally. Or or and wherever. So. I, I'm glad to hear you explain it so to my, me, but you, I mean, you can go ahead from there. No, right? no, but so, you know, I never thought of the devil's advocate thing until my friend that I was with in Kenya a long time, Brian, always played the devil's advocate, devil's advocate because mm-hmm. he faced a lot of adversity and negativity because people don't understand it. And even me, when I was going on this trip, they're like, oh, don't go there. You can't go there. It's dangerous. This, that, and the other yeah, right, bullshit right. thing. And, right. you know, you go on the internet and you see the news and it's fucking scary and you're like, Man. Malaria, this and that, and this, and then Ebola, and uh, at the time the Black Plague was a major outbreak of the Black Plague, which is right. you know th- thought to be put away. But like, if you just like get out of your comfort zone and you understand that this is most of the world, this isn't Kenya. This is ninety eight percent of the world like lives in a third world country, and that could be. Don't take that at face value. That number could be wrong, but most of the world. Most of the world is not yeah. a first world country. Look at where all that population is. Totally. We're talking India, we're third talking world. Africa. Third world. Know. Entire yeah. Africa, I think, I think if you look at a map of third world countries, mm-hmm. in all of Africa is technically mm-hmm. a third world country, including South Africa, mm-hmm. including all of it. Right. I, this, I don't think that's something to look at, like, is that a good place or not? Because I think it's bullshit. Like, where I was is so beautiful. Like, I think it's more advanced and more of the right mindset and path than anywhere that I've ever been. Um, so I think there's a negative stigma with third world, saying third world, like you immediately think bombed out war zone, but it's not, you know, it's just it's just a matter of infrastructure, it's a matter of uh, money and, and yeah. not resources in Africa because they're the most resource rich continent in the world. Um, oh, as far as natural resources. Yeah, yeah, I mean, literally, you know, not to go into a different subject, but at, at the, every, Every every mineral that you need for communication in the entire world comes from the Congo, comes from Central Africa. Every right. mineral that's in your cell phone, in your computer, in your satellite, any way to communicate, all comes from one place in Central Africa. You just have to get it. You have to get it. Right. Which is, I mean... Whether it be drinking like, water, yeah. whether it be electricity, whether it be... And it exists, and people get it, and the reason that there's conflict in these places is because people know that where there's conflict, there's cheap resources to get things, and you know that's a whole other conversation, but sure. the, the point is that there's things in the world that don't exist, that need to exist, and one of those are positive, creative outlets, mm-hmm. and every country right now is starting to realize how important it is to think creatively, how to look at things differently, because they're starting to realize that people have been looking at things from a very 
you know, finite scope for too long and nothing's changing. We still have so many problems. So Kenya, for instance, has this 2030 initiative where they're starting to embrace the creative side of things, the arts, creative thinking, sciences, like going away from what they threw out a long time ago in their curriculum and starting to double back and go, we need this in our country to be progressive, we need this. So for me, BMX is the most creative outlet because you really learn how to make your own fun. So when I put up that post, to go back a little bit, Garrett Burns hit me up and he took the trip in 2002, we have a similar mindset and he was, and we're very much so on the same page with this. We're like, how can we get some kids some fucking bikes? Right. Without making it a BMX trip, right. or obviously BMX related, but without asking anyone for anything right. and just doing it out of pure selfishness and then right. showing people how you can do so much with nothing. Right. You know, with a little bit. Right. Um, and that's like, that's, so that's our next chapter is like, you know, I went to this country, I fell in love with the culture, I fell in love with the language, I now have a friend that's on the ground there full time, uh-huh. and we essentially are trying to build like a small thing where we introduce this new thing to, you know, BMX to a place that doesn't exist, and be like, here's a bike and a shovel, like, go have fun, like, this is what we can do for you, here's some videos, here's us. Right. Like, how can we, like, and then, you know, this is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Makes sense. I guess, again, this is, like, almost coming to a conclusion, but, I mean... Well, you, you're you're in the midst of a plan. Yes. In the midst of a I'm, big plan. So I'm in the midst of a very big plan that's super unstructured, yet it has a lot of structure, but it's not there. Um, it's super not, like, I can't say anything specific. I can mm-hmm. say that a lot of, there are some people that are involved, that want to be involved, that mm-hmm. are great people. I think... Um, it's, it, it, it doesn't, it's a win-win situation because no matter what, in six months, me and Garrett will be taking a trip with bikes. I'll be maybe taking a trip in July with bikes. Uh, like, it's just, it's like a, nothing could go wrong when you just give and don't expect. So, like, there's no major expectations, but you're just like, I want to give back how the best I can, and that's through my culture, and my culture was BMX, and it was, you know... It was a place where it didn't matter what you were, what your, you know, what race you were, what your religion was, what your sexuality was. It was just like you were just a bike rider. I mean, granted, there was always people on all ends of the spectrum. Sure. But, but it was um, total freedom of expression. Yeah, it was just this ignorant, amazing experience. And I didn't experience that from when I first started until I went to Kenya with this bike. Because it got lost in translation. You know, it gets lost in selfishness trying to progress trying to be something trying to make a name for yourself even if you're just trying to do it as a human being you're always competitive whether it's with yourself or other people and I would always you know and this was the first time in my life where I was like wow like you can do so much with nothing and I come back to America and I'm like I'm just like damn like I'm working all these events and people are throwing shit I don't have a room right now in my apartment it's filled with stuff that people are going to throw away women's hair care products food like all this shit that like people don't realize how much it could do for people and I'm just like collecting shit after these jobs like spending money I don't have to take cabs that are too expensive lugging boxes upstairs solo and I'm not trying to be a martyr or anything I'm just like why are we throwing it away and like and um 
And again, like it's, I think it's easy to go somewhere like that, come back like just with the Robin Hood theory and this martyr, not complex, but like I want to save the world and do this. And that's not what I'm trying to do, but I'm just trying to be realistic. Like you're going to throw food away that people could eat. I'm going to take it and give it to people I can eat. And not, I'm not going to go to Africa to do it. I'm going to go to Tompkins Square Park. I'm going to go out my door. I'm going to go to the women's shelter down the road. Sure. I'm going to, you know, talk to my family that has, uh, that works with, you know, shelters and missions and stuff. Yeah. And, um, and that's how that changed who I am. And, and, and everyone so, does say like work for your, you know, you need to build yourself back up. And I am trying to build a brand, you know, I am trying to, I want to make money this year on artwork. Right. I want to make a living making artwork. I want to right. take money from corporations and I want to put it in my bank account because I right. want to take that money and mm-hmm. I want to advance my, you know, my goals and to give back. And it's not just, right. it's, it's in America. Right. It's, 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 in any, it's anywhere. I, I like to hear that you're putting into practice with things that you can on a daily basis. And it's not just saving up, saving it up for that one big drop in Kenya. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, because I think everyone can live that way in their daily lives. Totally. In some way. This. And then all, still have your mission. Totally. Still have your mission, your, your, your plan that you're in the midst of developing. But in the meantime, there's no reason why you can't pick up a bunch of bottled water that's going to be tossed totally. or whatever it is. And get it to people that can. Totally, it's not going to go bad. They're not nope. going to get sick from drinking it. Nope. It's bottled water. You're helping you know? people out, man. And that's the thing is, um, there's so many people. I am so stuck in a BMX community, mm-hmm. which is amazing. But like, yeah. and I know a lot of people are like this. You don't venture too far out of your community, like, right. and and I didn't really think that people existed that were just super selfless. And once I started meeting people that give, like, I know so many people that just give, man, like go and do good things just to do them. Like nobody's trying to look a certain way. And, and you know, even if they are, there's like a kind of an Instagram craze with kids like showing their riches and giving them to people. Like, and, I, and for what it's worth, like whether they're building up a following or clout because of it, doesn't matter because at the end of the day, they're giving back. Like who the fuck cares? Like the, the fact that there's a movement on giving back is pretty cool. That's you know my deal. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, you've you been know a, my deal. You've been, a, you've been a proponent in giving back to to a, to a level that I don't think it has existed since I've been in BMX. Like the fundraisers and jams you put on have not only gained so much recognition, but they've really fucking helped people right. and raised a lot Which is of the goal. yeah, and raised a lot of money or whatever or anything. Well, it's always it's, money. It's I mean, money it's, because at the end of the day, no matter where you're at, whether you're here in India, yeah. fucking you know north south america no matter what like that's you need money to survive and and that is what it is so um you know i i think everyone has to find their own way to give back and it doesn't it can be in so many different forms you can I talk wish, to somebody I wish, yeah you can have a conversation with somebody up. yeah i wish people wouldn't get too caught up on you know this this zone of or this this train of thought of it has to be a fundraiser. Yeah, you have to has raise to money, money, five money. or yeah. ten or fifteen thousand dollars. Nope. No, 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 no. Nope. You can get back by seeing a kid that just got dropped off by his parents at the track or the trails or just give track it, just or whatever. Saying, like smiling, giving a kid a high five, saying yeah. good job, man. Like, yeah. Hey, if you ever want to like come back, like. So for me, it took me taking this kind of like wild sure. trip to see that because right. I was I'm also very young. Austin, Oregon, the whole totally. thing brought you around to this spot. And for, I, for me, I mean, for me, it was you know I came back into it after 
you know, raising a family saying, you know what, I've done the best I could absolutely do for my children, you know, and my wife, and and now I can't, I have the, I have the organizational ability to be able to give back, so that's what I'm going to, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm going to do. Anyone can do that on any level, I mean, it doesn't, it, I wish people... So this is the point, right? Yeah, so yeah, So this go. is the point. Like the, your point, what you do mm-hmm. is... You, you, you found a reason to bring a fuck ton of people together mm-hmm. and raise money for really amazing causes mm-hmm. and you are involuntarily showing people how much they can do with a little and bringing that community together so much mm-hmm. and what I'm trying to do is the same thing but it's branching out of your community a little bit but using your community right so right. my reach is is different um, but it's the same Concept. Same concept. It's the same goal. Totally the same concept. So there's no reason, like, that you know everybody donates to this cause uh, that they can't also like. It's just the method that we're going help about, out, it. man. Yeah. Like uh, Daryl, for instance, don't know, like he helps out at a, at a kitchen like once a week, and I never knew that about him. You know, like oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, like I was just like, and he won't ever say anything about it. I hope yeah. he doesn't get upset that I said something, but like it's just something he's like, I just want to give back like once a week. It's awesome. And I heard him say that, and I'm like. You know, Daryl always gives back anyway. Right. So to hear him um, even go beyond that and do it on such a low key level, where he's not like, that's awesome. You know, like, hey, I'm here, like, at the kitchen. Like, he doesn't really, yeah. you know, it's just something he does. Expects nothing back, and it's just like, uh, and that's the big thing. And I battled with expectations all my life. You can't go into something like this with expectations. Hell no. You that's can't. the biggest. Because I if think you expect the biggest, something, you know roadblock if you ha- if you put expectations anywhere in the equation it, it's it's gonna hurt you're gonna feel totally. like it fell short it failed it whatever you got to go into it saying if I and I, I know it's a cliche but if I can help one person then it was worth every bit of effort as cliche as it is it's the truth and I hope anyone listening to this understands like you can wake up tomorrow and think your life is like going down the shitter and having a hard time, but there's definitely somebody that's tenfold worse than you. Yeah. And you can go have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Go give the guy that asks you for money. Be like, hey man, what what do you want money for? Right. You know what I'm saying? Someone right. asks me for money. What do you want money for? Right. I mean, I live in New York. People ask me for all the time. Sure. Someone looks at me with like right. watery eyes and said, I'm just hungry, man. I'm trying to get food, and all I have is a twenty in my pocket. And right. I don't even have no money for myself. Right. Like I'm giving that dude a twenty. Right. Like right. do that. Give him a dollar. Go talk to him. Right. Talk to someone. Go right. go do anything outside of your scope, especially if you're feeling down on yourself. Go away from yourself. Realize your problems aren't that bad, and right. with no expectations. And the mm-hmm. gratitude, the the gratification you'll get out of it oh, is totally. is so it's it's life changing. You don't need to go to what right. I did to, to get this. It's just my path took me there. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, I want to do something in the States. I want to do something everywhere, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's something that like, you know, I, so my thing is like, I'm 29, I'm going to be 30 in November, and I want to spend my 30s giving back, like my whole 30s. So my goal is to make something out of my life, last my 20s now, in six more months, and like get it going, and then... We're just we're the same. We're just different decades. Totally. I've been doing it from my mid forties on, and I'm saying, you know what? As long as I'm able, then why not? Totally. And if if there's if there's people responding, 
then it's it's in, as much as some years I just don't want to do it because it's, it's hard. a pain in the it's ass. It's fucking hard. I have to beg easy. and beg and beg. You know, I have the ability, and, and I'm fortunate that I even have the ability to, to string together a couple sentences to beg for it. Putting yourself down. Do it. Put it. Pegging yourself down to the bottom of the bottom. Oh yeah. If you ask for money, you right. are the person that's asking you for money on the street, right. whether it's in right. a formal setting or not. You're you, you you put yourself back to the ground to square yeah. one. You're, you're not better than anyone. Your education doesn't matter. Your job doesn't no. matter. You're asking someone for something that you don't have. Right. To help someone that needs to help it. someone else. It's not even totally. It's, it's not, not even for yourself. It's not for me whatsoever. No. But like you have to get no. on that mindset. Right. And um, it's but, very easy. Yeah. In America, mm-hmm. in a country where, and, and you have a family, so you have a family. You have a tribe. That's right. your number one. Right. Your family is your number one. Your mm-hmm. kids, your wife, like that's who sure. you live for. You know, when you when oh, you yeah. start that, you know. And so I'm to, keeping an eye on that at the same time. <laughs> but I'm no, I mean, it's amazing to be able. Yeah. I think that's where people get lost in giving back sometimes. They're like, well, I gave back. I have a family. Like, I don't, you know. Yeah, I can't afford yeah, to give back I've because had that, I have a family. I've had very wealthy people tell me they can't afford to give back. I'm yeah. like, dude, you can no. just talk to somebody. No, I look at the money that we spend just going out to dinner if, if we go once a week or something. Come on. The amount that we spend going out to totally. dinner once a week is a good part of a complete that yeah, you could send totally. to Kenya. So, so like, <laughs> the hard part is saying, though, to yourself is saying, like, you can't always think like that because you'd be miserable. No, you have I to understand. enjoy yourself, but to know that, to think like, to even yeah, yeah, have yeah. a little bit of a thought like that, right. puts you ahead of most people. And the point of this all, the bigger picture of this all, uh-huh. is to get everyone on the same level because there mm-hmm. is going to be a point in our world, in maybe yeah. our lifetime, right. where we have to ditch all the bullshit right. and we have to look at each other as people and learn and figure out how to work together. And I would love that day. I, you might not see it. I might I not, may see, not it. see it. Yeah, but, but maybe, I would love you know, to see that day. I mean, I think I'm seeing it. I think we. See, I mean, I know we're diverting wildly, uh, but this is a big portion of my life, and this is what yeah. I want people to hear about right. because right. you know all that the BMX stuff, all the traveling, growing up, you right. know, with different rules and this and that, blah blah blah. Like, I right. grew up fucking better than most people. Well, your your passion is fresh. My so passion is, is fresh. The fact that your passion is fresh is is exactly why it's important to talk to you right now. Yeah, totally. I, I because this is when you're you're hot on it, and uh, although your plan isn't fully developed, your passion's fresh. Get the word out there because people are going totally. people are going to see something at some point in totally. the near future, and My, and they won't be well people that listen to this anyway won't be surprised by it because they'll know exactly where it yeah. came from. And the fact that it all came from this path of being a you know, this path path of being different, but being well in growth. It's a path of growth. So I I want to. My goal in this life, my 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 path, my vision is is to use my background Mm -hmm. to to push, you know, people to doing stuff that they wouldn't do, right? And, And but for not but for positive life. So again. Right, not just to win to a meal the because tr- you went yeah. higher on the bowl at the, yeah. at the fucking fits. He's old as shit, and, and, I, and in all honesty, he probably never went higher. There was camera angles involved, and there will be a day where we have a proper competition, but it was never a proper competition. Uh, you gotta let him heal up, but he'll be alright. No, but I mean, do it. 
Plus, <laughs> people like Fitz. Fitz has been working with kids. Like Fitz gives oh, back. Yeah. Like Fitz is a people I like. I love watching his videos of him working. They're with amazing, kids, right? Like, dropping in for the first time on a skateboard. You know, like all, I always thought that like people always want to see like. Yeah. The crazy. I mean, we live in a world where you're inundated with media and the craziest shit. But like, the truth is, like, what people can connect with is the most successful. And like, yeah, watching him help kids, right, and his infectious laugh and who he is. I'm like, dude, that's like the best. Like, if I could bring kids with me while I was in Kenya, like, these kids would fucking lose it. Like, lose it, man. Like, just like I, 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 I I get to see all the real character in people, and I peg myself down a little bit, and I step down to like. You know, not caring about what I'm doing and my, yeah. not worrying about my finances, not worrying about my name and, uh, and whatever, whatever. Right. You know, it's just like a beautiful, beautiful thing. But yeah, you yeah. see, you start to see the trueness in other people too. Like I knew Fizz was great with people, but right. then I see that and I'm like, oh wow, now it all makes sense. You know, I see yeah. what you're doing. I'm like, oh man, it all makes sense. I see a lot of people are doing great things. So many people are giving back, uh, whether it's through BMX or not. I'm glad you said that because there are a lot of people giving back in their own way and a lot of it doesn't get publicized no I mean every time I know which is great you know that's the beauty of it it's like it's publicize it if it's if it's if you need to but like you don't give back to publicize it you know like sometimes you have to publicize it to get a maximum like yield out of wanting to give back like i.e. you know a jam for whoever Mm -hmm. you have to promote it because if you don't nobody's going to come and know about it the point is to get people to know about it sure but yeah there's people like you know listen I gave my bike away like I like to say I gave my bike away because I paid for my bike and I still don't have a BMX I'm still waiting for a BMX you're still riding a a city bike I haven't been riding a city bike (laughs) for four and a half months because I came back with $400 in my bank account so like you know even with the amazing you know shout out to S&M who helps me out and gives me a great deal and Odyssey who hooks me up and all the companies that do help me out like you know I still have to pay for certain things and and uh and I do that with a big old smile on my face because yeah. that's what it, I'm supporting a company and right. I want to support a company. Right. But yeah, I'm still on a city bike if anyone wanted to know. Yeah, well, Brendan Vale does. Um, he wants <laughs> but I to know have how, a bike on the way. He wants they, to know how many blocks you got on a city bike. I've been perfecting the city bike wheelie. Yeah. Sometimes heavy. I wake up sore because of it because they're super heavy. <laughs> right. And I get a little carried away. But, uh, I'm, I'm going to rattle off a couple no no they're just shout outs because uh, I just want to shout these people out because I think we're on a nice roll with what we're talking about and um, but I, I definitely don't want to uh, forget yeah well I don't I, I want to recognize these people because these people are always contributing questions and they're they're great people they're friends of yours they're becoming friends of mine so anyway Brian Barnhart um, he just wants to know if you pulled any surf and turf sessions lately. Uh, I got back the first day after a 14-hour flight from yeah. from Kenya, and yeah. I got in the water, 38-degree water, with Garrett Burns, who drove from Jersey to come surf in Long Beach. No way. Yeah, first day back in a snowstorm. I think I saw video And then of that he stayed with me and my mom at my mom's house because he got snowed in, and we surfed the next day, too. So oh, no awesome. surf and then BMX, but been surfing in the water. Get the surf, no all turf. Winter. All spring, I guess, is Nice. <laughs> uh, shout out from Bobby Proctor. Why no iPads? He is a really cool, a cool guy. Bobby's the man. Um, yeah. yeah you, I know so many people, man, and it's, it's because of bikes, and it's so crazy because yeah. they're all fucking awesome people. They know? are. They're, every one of these guys is awesome. So, Tom, so Tom DeStefano, he's from your yeah, town, right? Yeah, amazing. Tom's been a friend since high school. He's seen yep. me, you know, 
blossom into the shithead I am. Yeah. Uh, he just wants—he just wants you to know. Thank you for giving such awesome energy to the BMX community. I, I appreciate it. Uh, basement sessions at the clubhouse? Question mark. Yeah, this is back into my parents. No rules. Like we party in the basement. All oh, the time. okay, got it. Favorite person on and off the bike? I'm gonna answer that one. Garrett Burns. For me, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I mean that to me from our speaking to Garrett more and more. It's like I'm like, damn, like this dude. Oh, I can't wait to meet the. Oh, guy. he just has. He's ahead of the curve as far as as everything, and he always has been. Yeah, he's a progressive human, and he's literally got a heart of gold. Right, and he means well, and the way he's curated his life yeah. is so pure and amazing, and it's just someone to look up to. Like yeah, very. Yeah, I mean he's someone. Uh, I look up to, I have looked up to, but talking to him, I'm like, wow, like, yeah, you're a really good fucking role model. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, no doubt. He sure seems like it. From everything I've seen, I already told you Brendan Vale. Of course. Brendan is um, another one who works with, I mean, you did the, you did the Malali podcast. Brendan yep. has been a staple in yeah. the nonprofit world for them for a long time and doing a lot of really cool things. So yep. Brendan Vale is, is a major, major Oh gosh, yeah. Like he really gives he's, back, man. And, yeah, and I think that not a lot of, I mean, I think a lot of New York people know, but like, shout out to him because, yeah. He, again, his heart's in the right place and he does a lot with a lot with a little. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. I, I, I like Brendan a lot. Uh, Justin Crofton, <laughs> what's it like being besties, besties with Russ? And uh, what's it like knowing he is, he is better than you at surfing? He's not, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, surfing's not a competition with anyone but myself. That's right. I'm constantly just not trying to drown, and that's that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I know I know that well. Watching. But happy birthday, there. Russ! It's Russ's thirtieth birthday right now today. 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 So happy birthday, Russ! Oh man, happy birthday, Russ! And uh, he's one of my best friends, and he's no. he's a really really another good person. Oh, he's he's, a, he's a heart solid, of gold and solid guy. All right, last two are about being a Chelsea boy. Death to pigs. <laughs> He wants to know what's it really like being a Chelsea boy, and Brandon Vale wants to know best thing about being a Chelsea boy. We have one of the most amazing concrete skate parks, and like I wouldn't say the most amazing, but like one of definitely one of the best ones in New York. It's a skate park, isn't it? Yes, in Chelsea. So you're not even supposed to be there. You got to go like four hours. So we have to go at eight a.m. every morning because we're not allowed to ride bikes there. But right, right. So we just like formed this morning group where we'd all roll up, and it was just like the Chelsea boys. Yeah, everyone. It fluctuates who goes, but it's right. a great way to spend the spring, summer, and fall. And That's awesome. I love all those guys, man. Caitlin Alexa wants to know who's the driest guy you know. Probably me this year. <laughs> to be honest, well, you have a good excuse. That's. I would say I have an excuse, but uh, I call out Barlow, but he's actually been digging. <laughs> there, everyone, uh, like everyone, dude. The trails this year are going to be sick because yeah. everything's running and people are digging in. It's gonna be awesome, All right, but this year I'm gonna mean, call myself. I'm the dry guy. Like <laughs> that's the, right. You know what? No you're bike. still gonna be welcome. You yeah. put your time. I'm gonna roll in with dusty clothes. All right, Ground Chuck. Last question. Wants to know your favorite Kenyan meal. Damn, we didn't even talk about Kenyan food. Um, what did I eat the whole time? I ate pretty much kale and rice and beans. That was like staple food. Been so you must have felt so good Dude. and felt so healthy. Oh, I love it. Like I'm trying to think, like we had no, we it's didn't like have getting rid of the toxins. I mean, we were drinking out of a lake water, like we were drinking sketchy water and shit because we didn't have right. running water for two months where we right. were. But like, right. yeah, it was pretty simple, like staple meals, like kale, uh, beans, rice. I don't eat meat, but once in a while there's meat. 
I mean, everything's fresh, though, you know? Everything, we're on farmland, so any corn products or corn, there's no... Kenya, somehow the third world country banned plastic bags and banned GMOs, but we can't do that in America. But yeah, so no GMOs, no GMO food, no really... The no, end in Kenya. Yeah, no pesticides, really, because they can't even, you know, a lot of... It's an expense, it's unnecessary. What, is, what an ass-backwards world. Yeah, that's why, like, go see some shit, and then... Go see some place that everyone tell you are like backwards, like, oh no, you can't go there, and then you realize like, no, 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 they have it all set. Like, they're right. Like, maybe their infrastructure isn't the best it could be, but like... Yeah. I know we're wasteful, but if Kenya can do it... Oh yeah. Why the hell can't we do it? It blows my mind every day, man. Uh, and like, one of the last things I'd say um, is, my friend on upon arrival in America asked me like to stay for a week and then email how I felt. And I was just like, kind of like, like, what do you think? What's your, like, you know, your introduction back to, to America? Because, mind you, for three and a half months, I spent saying, hello, goodbye, how are you? You know, where are you going? How's your day? What are you having for food in a different language? You know, that I studied and I learned and I'm trying to learn a different language and I'm seeing a different culture and I'm around people that most people would consider poor. I didn't see that at all. I saw a bunch of people that really were fucking wealthy. They just weren't wealthy in funds. Right. And it's funny that we're listening to Bob Marley because right. there's an interview where somebody asked him about his riches and he gets mad. He's like, what is riches? What do you mean riches? Right. My money? Like, no, I'm happy. Like, that's my wealth. That's my riches. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing there. The one thing I noticed when I came back to America is I don't really truly think people are happy. I don't think they know what true happiness is because they're in the rat race trying to get the bigger chunk yeah. of the cookie. Some people can see the light, yeah. but it's hard because... It does take so much of your life to support just to live here. Where you yeah. go there and you live on a land, on land. That's right. it. Right. Your food's there. Your family's there. You right. live off the land. And this is rural Kenya. Obviously, there's big cities where there's other stuff going on. This is not just Kenya. Like, I right. don't want to just pigeonhole it to Afri- East Africa right, or Africa right. as a continent or Kenya. It's a lot of the world, man. Like, you see, you see real happiness when there's struggle. You see real happiness when there's not all the bullshit that um, that Western world has. Right. So. I get it. Perfect time. I, That's I, <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, I just found out the other day from my wife that I always thought he died of, uh, maybe it was urban legend, I don't know. I always thought he died of either an accident or a drug overdose or something. He died of cancer, didn't he? Yeah, I believe it was lung cancer, but some people believe that it was, he was assassinated. Yeah, so it was the craziest thing to me because all this time I didn't think it was, it was that. So yeah. a, anyway, what yeah. a sad end to a mini, to a, a short, amazing life. A lot of but, people that had a very big say in the world uh-huh. happen to die. Yeah, right. And it's not conspiracy theory. Right. The way the world works. Yeah, yeah. Anyone that's too outspoken and has a platform, yeah, is a direct risk to be around people that disagree with them and. You and I better watch our asses when we leave Mad podcast. Tropical here. <laughs> yeah, because Brooklyn. there's a, a guy with a the beard. The two of us. A guy with a beard and leather jacket might beat us up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on our way out of here, there's no For doubt we're going to have back. targets on our back because we've got these movements going that are definitely. But I do want to thank um, uh, everyone, everyone that's ever helped me out anyway. Um, Shad Johnson, who owns Goods. Uh, Robbie Morales has helped me. Moeller, Dougie, everyone at S&M, uh, everyone at Odyssey, 
all my friends and everyone that you know I'm involved with that, that are that do give a lot back to BMX but have helped me directly. I appreciate it. So I sure I like put that one on the record. No, absolutely. <laughs> and I should finish with uh, just a quick shout out to Soups because he sent a separate question that he emailed me <laughs> because he didn't want you to see it. It's not really a question. It's more uh, it's more of a comment. And I'll just paraphrase here because he was talking about. It's so cool how four people now, out of 35 podcasts, have been from one square mile. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is, which is Seacliff. So, um, so he just, um, he was just talking and the positives and negatives of your BMX life in general and growing up and coming up in Seacliff, we've covered that obviously, yeah, yeah. so we don't have to go into that, but he obviously is someone that is really proud of you Yeah, and is really you know tight with you and he also went out of his uh he made a point to say that you were the original digger with him at kiko (laughs) and and he'll never forget it i i i appreciate it because sometimes i forget you know if that was the truth or not like and i tread lightly because i don't want to offend anyone but uh like i said this whole podcast essentially was a a, you know a low-key you know shout out to him that dude raised me and um he's uh he's the reason that I am who I am today. He's just a big, huge proponent in it. Mm-hmm. Whether we agree on things or not, which I don't think we disagree on much at all, but you know, we've spent a lot of time together. We spent a lot of time apart, and he's always been a driving force in uh, what I was doing. He's always been positive. He's never done anything to to stifle me. He's always been for anything I'm doing. I like to, you know, the more I talk about, the more I really think about. Like, well, he's a really amazing human. Right. Great, great best friend. Right. And he was like, I grew up with, you know, I obviously I was fortunate enough to have a father and mother that were alive, but like these people were really my my, my parents when I was right. that young, traveling around. So yeah. I'm eternally grateful for him. And the positive and negatives of BMX, I, there's none. There's definitely been negative times and positive, more positive times. But this this whole even just sitting here is like you really see the positivity and something that uh, that most people look down on. Yeah. So right, right now, like, I want to give back just based on being like a pack, like a little rat bag, dirt bag BMX kid. So fuck anyone that ever thought <laughs> that it wouldn't take me anywhere. You know, you could choke on that. And everyone says this, right? Like, anyone who never believed in me, anyone this or that, like, you could be ahead of me, but like, BMX is the reason that I can think the way I think. And I want to spread that because this mindset only really exists in, in certain in certain subcultures and in certain sports, I think. And right. when you have to think about having fun through survival right. and being in a survival instinct all the time, right. making your own fun and, and risking your, your health and well-being right. just for your own kicks and shits and giggles, like it right. really molds you as a person. And, and uh, I've been successful because of my mindset and, a lot of, and everyone I know has been too. Mm-hmm. And uh, in their own right, however that may be, I, I think right. people need to give themselves more credit, whether they they feel that or not. You know, right. like you think differently than you know ninety nine percent of the world just because of the fucking bicycle, and that's that's pretty crazy. It's true, you know. So it's true. It shapes a lot of us, and sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it happens faster, but totally. it, it changes everybody. If everyone has the time to like sit back and think about how it, why they are where they're at, and they could put that one thing that's always been there 
that makes that thing really special. So for us, it was a BMX bike. You know, I mean, you took how many years off? A decade off, right? Or a little less, or a little. No. Less. But it's always been part of you, and like you come oh, yeah. back and now look at what you're doing. You know, oh, yeah, it's yeah. like I'm just focused on the family directly, and and as soon as I came back, it was I knew. I just knew I had to do it. I knew I was able to because of my motivation, not because I'm not rich, by the way. I don't know. I want to make sure that goes oh, out no, there. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not for rich. For the record, like, no, like, what I have in my bank account and I yeah. think I got money is what right. most people are like, uh-oh, this is the red zone and I'm smiling yeah, yeah, yeah. here with it. Like, I just happen, <laughs> just like you, I just happen to have the motivation to make things happen and sometimes, sometimes I get pissed because I want it to happen so bad and it's not happening and that's but that type of getting pissed is a healthy thing yeah because absolutely. it's otherwise then maybe you're not that passionate about it you know so if you're not like frustrated if you're not in tears if you're not happy if you don't go through the emotional spectrum of something then it doesn't mean anything right like that's like the, the truest essence of loving something is dealing with the full roller coaster man mm-hmm. uh, right most people don't get to experience that outside of like maybe a relationship and BMX is fully self-driven it's fully is what you make it and whether you're a professional bike rider I'm going to quote professional bike rider Mm -hmm. whether you're getting paid whether you're the best of the best whether you're just learning whether you're not like we all come from the same Mm -hmm. it's the same drive you know and that um, yeah that's something that uh, is really important and that's what I think gets lost in translation sometimes and I think that's why giving back is great because it brings everyone together. It brings young kids, old kids, right. street, wherever the hell you ride, it doesn't matter. It's for a bigger cause, you know, right. so. Um, Let's finish off on this. How, since this is a, a work in progress with you, how can people that are listening to this follow along on this on this mission uh, that you're developing? Cool, for sure. So, um, you know, while this is in the in the works, what, if you're still listening, or at least you scrolled through to the end, right? Follow my Instagram because I'm gonna be plugging what's going on low key as it builds. But what we're doing is is not we're not asking anything from anyone. So right, um, right now. Mm-hmm. So we just want people to follow along and be inspired by giving back. Like I do, obviously, uh, Garrett Burns is very involved in my, my vision and his vision. So we're partnering on this project that I can't speak too much about because sure. it's still very much so in the in the grass, in the beginning stages. And, and it's just so pure that it's like, right. you know... Um, there will be a time where it all makes sense. Right. So, and there will be a time where giving to me will help other people. Mm-hmm. But right now, just follow the journey and um, and and be engaged and, and pass it on to people. I don't I don't care about you hitting a like button, but like read the stories, read uh, where it's coming from, you know, and, and go help someone out. You know, like in your community, go give someone that you would never give a dollar a dollar. Go give someone a meal think someone's going to spend money on something bad then make sure they're spending it on good you know what i'm right. saying like empty out your fucking closet and go give it to right. hand it to somebody that needs it don't put it in a donation box you right. know exactly so yeah my i guess i was in a little tangent but no no that's instagram cool. is my only outlet right now and uh and you know the social media and um if you're yeah. interested 
that you could contact, um, you know, hit up Ramdad's Instagram or my Instagram and get my email, con- you know, contact or whatever you want. Yeah. If you want to talk, if you want to chat on the phone about it, if you're inspired, if you want to talk shit, if you want to anything, <laughs> you know, I want, I, I need, I need backlash too. I need mm-hmm. people, I need people's critiques because it, nothing's good if it, if there's no criticism. So, you know. Right. And, you know, don't be scared yeah, <laughs> to criticize. Absolutely. So you're, you're Pauly underscore pirate? Pauly underscore pirate. P-A-U-L-Y underscore pirate. You know, that's that's my biggest outreach to what at the moment. Yeah. And um, and I'll connect anyone uh, otherwise if you yeah, can't find and, you and, through. And, and, and follow everything that Joe's doing and, and uh, the fundraisers to come because that's major too, you know. Like sure. we're, we're going to riff off off of that too like mm-hmm. each other and then um, I uh, just get back man yeah <laughs> moral of the story you know just like I keep looking at you like I'm talking to you about it but, no it's like um, the, it's like do good feel good I say that all the time yeah, I'm like, man, do it's good, crazy good. It's, it's, it's crazy when you put yourself aside mm-hmm. and uh, and it takes it's so easy to do it you don't need no money right you don't need any money Nope. You just need a little bit of time. We all got a lot of time, you know? So. We do. We do. <laughs> awesome. Cool. I so appreciate I guess, it. Let's wrap it on that, yeah, buddy. Let's wrap. That was, I hope right. it's not too long. But. Oh, it's awesome. The longer, <laughs> longer the better. Trey Jones said it himself. He's like, the longer the better. I just I work on the ramps while you're, while you're talking. <laughs> so anyway, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Is that it. like a three hours? I don't know. We'll add them up after. We'll see. Um, but we're getting out of here just in time because the music's starting yeah. to really kick. Alright, I hope you guys enjoyed that one as much as I did. Polly is an amazing guy with an amazing vision of what he would like to do to benefit others. And that's definitely right up my alley. So keep an eye on his Instagram and do whatever you possibly can when you see his plan come to fruition along with Garrett Burns. So anyway... Thank you, Paulie. Thank you for the time. And also, thank you, Daryl Nahn, his, his uh, bar and restaurant, Mad Tropical in Brooklyn on Troutman, I believe it is. Definitely worth a visit. The food was amazing and uh, just, just a great place. And the staff was awesome, too. So anyway, don't forget, July 29th, Find Your Fight Jam to benefit the family of Kevin Robinson. It's going to be awesome. Sponsors, donations are rolling in, and it's just going to be a great day. Just keep an eye on my Instagram at GrandDad2000 and the website for the podcast, thebmxinourblood.com. You'll see more information being dropped there as we get closer to the event. So if there's anything you want to do to get involved, please contact me. It's never too early, two months away. That's going to fly by. So anyway, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.